Welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers episode 70, Foes of the Worst Sort. I'm Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy Matt. Hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us this week, or for this episode. We've got a goodie coming up. Uh, as you know, we are reading A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons in a special reading order. It's developed by Game of Owns and called A Feast with Dragons. You can find that reading order on our website, davosfingers.com, or at afeastwithdragons.com. This episode, uh, however, we continue to traipse through A Dance with Dragons only. Okay, Dance has many more chapters than Feast, and we've kind of exhausted almost all of the Feast chapters, so we've got to catch up with Dance. So in this episode, we are covering both Daenerys 8 and 9, then Theon 1, but wait, haven't we had some Theon chapters already? Hmm. No. Then John 11, and then this one surprised me from the reading order, Cersei 1. This is the first Cersei POV in Dance with Dragons. I guess just reading them together, I didn't even recognize that that was happening. But Yeah, Cersei's got a glut of chapters in A Feast for Crows. It almost feels like every other one. Uh, She's for sure like the, I think, the leading POV in A Feast for Crows. Maybe Brienne as well. But uh, yeah, and and reading this, I'll cover this a little bit when we do the summary, but reading it, uh, you get a little bit of a kind of a repainting of what happened since George knows it's been five years since you read the Circe chapter in, Fe- in Feast. For real. Yep, you're absolutely right. All right, uh, Skeddy, do you want to kick us off with some announcements that we've got? Sure, yeah. Well, first of all, uh, we did release uh, midweek this week our, our special episode to our patrons uh, on Patreon. And it was a special episode covering what we have called Team John. For the last several years and uh it was a really fun experience to get together and record it it was it turned out to be way less a a thesis statement with proof you know like a, mm-hmm. going about trying to prove something as much mm-hmm. as it was hey let's talk through all these ideas we have uh and kind of firm them up and uh kind of very much more in the davos fingers style and or destroy them <laughs> huh or destroy them yeah, you said to the firm did, them up yeah. or just tear them down. Absolutely. No, I did too. I'm so glad it ended up the way that it did. Uh, it, it felt more like us. As I was preparing for the episode and trying to put together, like you said, like a thesis type statement, it just felt weird. And I found yeah. it hard to find a rhythm. I found it hard to study and get into it. But after we kind of settled on, let's just do this Davos finger style everything yeah. it just it just flowed it was a lot of fun so that said i did listening back to it i don't think i realized this at the time we were recording but listening back to it i felt more lawyerly in mm. that like like i like i was trying to like cling to a structure and and try to prove things and like follow them through to their ends rather than you know just kick back and relax it was kind of a mix for me but regardless well, yeah i mean we put we put a lot of study into it, and I think we wanted to see all our points through and make sure that we covered them exhaustively so that, you know, our listeners could arrive at their own conclusion, too. And so, yeah, yeah, there's definitely some of that. So, so anyways, uh, check it out. It's there at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers, and we hope you liked it as much as we liked making it. Next, Absolutely. May 25th. Uh, When this episode comes out, it'll be about a month away. We've got 
Another Star Wars movie coming out. The Solo film. Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, I'll tell you, Scad, I was looking forward to this one. I mean, as I do for Star Wars movies, but I wasn't incredibly excited until this trailer that came out about a week ago for us now. The most recent trailer. And I am on board with it now. How about you? Yeah. Uh, ditto. I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit on the cast before, just kind of what, what we felt about the first trailer and how nervous it kind of made it. Well, it made me for sure. Um, and, you know, why? Uh, this one, I, I'm not, I'm maybe not as, as turned around as you, but I, I certainly have a lot more hope for it. Um, I'm a fan of, of the lead. Uh, I have also said in the past, I don't really want anyone to try to do Harrison Ford's version of Han Solo. It's it's kind of like you shouldn't try. It's almost like trying to do Heath Ledger's Joker now. Like nobody that plays Joker can do what he's done. You know, you, you can't copy it. And I don't really want him to try to copy Harrison's take, but there needs to be the character needs to reek of Han Solo, right? In his own, yeah. in his own way. And I felt in this preview, Han Solo. Yeah. yeah, and I felt in this preview, he, I, I, I saw more of that. Um, you know, these are just previews. They're clipped and cut and, you know, doctored and some of the shit may not even end up in the film. But yeah, it did a, it did a good job of getting me excited. Yeah. A trailer is supposed to get you excited for a film, right? That's the point of a trailer. Indeed. And I, I think it did its job. Yeah, I I can't say I can't say the same for Miss Amelia though. She's not doing a ton for me. Oh, eh. Give her a chance. Give her a chance. Mhm. I wonder if she's going to end up being one of those Daniel Radcliffe types where you only see them as their the main character that they played. You know, for me, I know Daniel Radcliffe is a good actor and he's gotten a lot of accolades for some of the work he's done post Harry Potter. But whenever I see him, I just see Harry Potter. And I wonder if it's going to be that same way with Amelia Clark for me. Yeah, I, I don't with Daniel Radcliffe, interestingly enough. I, 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 I really am a fan of his and I'm not really a huge Harry Potter fan. Uh, I know, strike me down. Um, I, I like them fine. Um, but. I, I do like him as an actor, and uh, I do too. I think he's a great like actor. Some of the things he's done, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether whether she can outgrow that. I mean, she's done quite a few things on the side already, but I haven't seen much of it. Anyway, Donald Glover looked great. Uh, got a few good bits in there. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Uh, so next announcement. Uh, I've mentioned the last couple episodes. I think Ice and Fire Con coming up. Super excited. Uh, we're recording on the 13th of April. Ice and Fire Con is basically two weeks away. Uh, super excited about that. And uh, excited to see all you guys that will be there. I think I've got like a, I've got a spreadsheet of everyone that's told me that's coming that I can you know kind of look out for you guys. Uh, I think there's like, I don't know, 10 or 15 people that have admitted that they're going to be there and, and listen to our cast. So I'm excited. Excited to meet people. You should just set up a booth. Haha. <laughs> And just well, make them come to you. Uh, no. 
gather round. <laughs> Children, no, I, gather no, round. No, not, not anything like that, but I would like to just... I'd love to get as many people that, you know, that listen to the show together as as can, and I'm not going to organize anything, I guess, but just to, just kind of get feedback and talk to people and, you know, learn from them, you know, what they think. SCAD will buy you alcohol. Oh, yeah. I mean, yep. Get it for first, yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, last, we did have uh, our, our Song of Madness uh, finished up. In between the last recording and this one, yeah. So it's kind of to... old news by the time you yeah, guys hear yeah. this, but yeah. yeah. But congrats to Aria. Yes, congrats to Aria. I think on the last cast, I had predicted that she might win. That's who so... you had said you wanted to win. Yep, and I yeah. said Davos. So you did, yeah. Um, election meddling. The two <laughs> yeah, the, we definitely the got organizers to made it through to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a keys to that for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I love seeing Arya win. Um, but of course, most of all, as we said after the tourney was over, it doesn't matter who won. It's it's just us all coming together and having fun that's important with that. So, and it was yeah. right. Uh, I, I did want to say too about uh, Ice and Firecon. I forgot. Uh, I am on a panel. Uh, on Friday, at I, I believe it's 2 o'clock, it's uh, the Ice and Fire fandom panel. So check that out. If you're at Ice and Fire Con, come, uh, come see that panel and uh, listen to me and a bunch of other people that are uh, in, do different things. So it's not all podcasters. It's uh, There's an artist on the panel. The organizer of Ice and Fire Con herself is, is on the panel. Um, so there's uh, uh, one of the uh, editors on Reddit is on the panel. And uh, yeah, it's going to be going to be a lot of good fun we're just going to talk about kind of different ways people interact in the fandom and the different mediums and how they relate to each other and uh i think it's gonna be a lot of, i think it's gonna be really interesting so you didn't tell me you were on a panel it's the first time hearing about this really oh yeah yeah i'm excited Ann approached me about it Ann approached me about it uh last year sometime and kind of came together and yeah i'm super excited that'll be awesome yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. Is that it for announcements? I think it is. So let's move on. Let's get to this friggin' podcast, man. We are spoiler free as always until the very end, uh, where we have Davos After Dark, where we'll get into the spoilers. But I'll tell you what, that spoiler content is getting more and more rare um, as we get to the end of these books. Half the notes I look at, I'm like, they're not really even spoilers. They're just kind of theories now. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Davos After Dark's kind of evolved in that realm. To, yeah, <laughs> to, right. But anyway, the theory talk. We, but we won't spoil you uh, beyond what we've read up to this point in the main chapter discussion. So enjoy that. And if you are interested in shooting us uh, suggestions, things we can do better, critiques, uh, things we are doing well, hmm, I'm I'm not even ashamed to say we like that too. Uh, topics for future episodes, anything you want to talk about, reach out to us through DavosFingers.com. Our email address is wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. You can find and like us on Facebook, or you can learn more about our Patreon program, again, at patreon.com slash DavosFingers. Okay, like Scad said, let us dig in. So we're going to start out with two Danny chapters. We are going to split them up, though, so we're going to 
do our summary of the chapter, then chat, then we're going to summarize the next chapter and chat just to break it up so you don't have 10 to 15 minutes of just hearing me summarize chapters. <laughs> yeah. No although, one needs that. <laughs> although really something George could have put together. I mean, these chapters are, it's one night and then the next day, right? So it's, they really could have flown together. It's, it's interesting. Yep. Yep. Uh, but both chapters are meaty enough, definitely, oh, to yeah. stand on their own. But For sure, yep. Okay, shall we do it? Indubitably. Okay. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Jorothy. And oh, she knows just where she gotta go and won't be Tarion. Look how Westerosa comes the nearest Targaryen. The party is in full swing, and Danny hates it. She tries again to convince herself that the peace treaty just signed between her own Marine and the besieging young Kai is a victory, what she wanted. But dang it, it feels like a defeat. Her new husband, Hisdar Zolorak, points out that peace has been restored, trade will recommence, and the young Kai will soon be gone. This is why she married Hisdar in the first place. So why does she feel so terrible? Well, I'll tell you, part of it is the slave market right outside her walls, where, unbeknownst to her, Penny, Tyrion, and Jorah had just been sold. And the other part is the reopening of the fighting pits, which is to occur on the morrow in a grand event to celebrate a new chapter of peace, posterity, and unwilling combatants slaughtered for entertainment. Again, she tells herself, this is the price for peace. Her thoughts turn unsurprisingly to her dear Dario, who has just been sent as part of a hostage trade to Yunkai. In return for seven visiting Yunkish nobles, Marine sent seven of their own, including her blood rider Jogo, Admiral Grolio, and dear old Dario, among others. All for the better, she thinks, for if he was here, this meal would end in blood for Brown Ben Plum, the wizened, kind old sellsword commander of the Second Sons, who Danny had once trusted, but who had later betrayed her by going over to the Unkai, is there at the feast. As they encounter each other, Plum explains that his betrayal was nothing personal, just he and his men switching to the winning side. Quote, there are old sellswords and there are bold sellswords, he explains. But there are no old, bold cell swords. Try saying that five times fast. He counsels her to never trust a cell sword, and Danny sort of obnoxiously thanks him. Uh, Barristan Selmy, ever at her side, overhears the conversation, and Danny begins to counsel with him. Having learned her lesson regarding the loyalty of sellswords, she wonders aloud to Barristan if Plum might be. Um, removed from leadership and his second son's persuaded to betray the young Kai and come back over to her. Oh, and while they're at it, the other two Yunkish sellswords companies as well. You think we could get them to switch sides? Selmy, as a seasoned knight used to settling matters simply on the field of battle, is loath to practice such underhanded tactics. But Danny asks him to at least try. Uh, try to reach out to these sellsword companies and see what their price might be. She tells him to start by freeing Pretty Maris, one of the Westerosi who came over with Team Quentin, and instructing her to carry a message to her commander, the Tattered Prince, who we met in the Windblown chapter a while back. Selmy, of course, will obey Danny, but not without pointing out her other option. 
taking up the aforementioned offer Quentin previously brought her. Nope, not going to happen, says Danny, who just doesn't see enough upside in abandoning Marine for him and Dorn. Her people come first. However, she oddly commands Barristan to bring Quentin to her, for she says, It is time he met my children. Quentin, half drunk from coming from the party, and not a handsome man, as Danny frankly observes, joins her, and they make the long descent in the company of her guards to the massive pit where Viserion and Rhaegal are chained up. On the way down, she opens up to Quentin, suggesting that just because the marriage isn't happening doesn't mean they can't work something else out. For, she says, they both want the same thing. Fire and blood. It's then that they arrive at the dragon pit, where Danny and Quentin enter alone. The two dragons, there's just two, Drogon is free and hunting, uh, chafe against their chains. One has already burned through most of them. Quentin is visibly rattled. They are fearsome creatures, he observes. They are dragons, Danny replies, and so am I. Having given Quint a taste of her power, they return topside, with Danny counseling the young Dornish prince to be wary of both Dario and Hisdar, and to return quickly to the safety of Dorn. Quentin remarks to Danny's sadness that he will not run from slaves and sellswords. Later, after the festivities have died down, Hisdar drunkenly brags of his kept promise of peace in Marine. Uh, this is later after Danny and Hisdar are alone in the bedroom. And Danny endures his uh, drunken embraces. Thrusting? That's the PG way to say it. Thrusting? <laughs> uh, he follows with a quick finish with an even quicker zonk out. And Danny is left alone with her thoughts. Those are interrupted by Miss Ande, who claims to have heard Danny crying. Danny chalks it up to the young scribe having had a bad dream, but nevertheless bids her young confidant to stay. She asks Miss Ande to tell her of home, of things that make her happy, that make her giggle, sweet memories and reminders that there is still good left in the world. And Miss Ande was still talking when Danny fell asleep and says, dreaming of queer, half-formed dreams of smoke and fire. And so the chapter ends. Bum, bum, bum. So, this is kind of a precursor to the main event, which is happening in the next Danny chapter, right? Yeah, I mean, his daughter doesn't get any, but I got blue balls reading this chapter, right? Oh, did you now? Well, something, like, it's, it's a tease chapter, like, something's coming. <laughs> yeah. You've got all these people around, they're kind of partying, there's booze flowing, you go with the dragons, but nobody gets charred. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a tease chapter. It sure is. Um, not to say nothing important happens or, or interesting, but it's a bit of a tease. Yep. We're setting us up for a main event. Um, this is, this is the tragedy of Danny, right? You can just feel the, is depression the right word? I don't know if it's depression. Malaise. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Uh, it's just uh, reeks of it. It's, uh... It's compromise. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it is, uh, you know, interestingly, John deals with some of this in the same episode that we'll cover, but um, she's not a woman that has done a lot of compromising up to now. 
hard life growing up, but once she got, you know, with Drogo and kind of had control, she didn't do a lot of compromising. She she did things her way. She conquered. She took things. She And she could. And she, that worked. Yep, right. And, well, and and it's not just a passive it worked, but like she made that happen. And uh-huh. she's now she's now in a position where she doesn't feel like she can make it happen. She's seen all of these things happen over the year in Marine with her people dying around her and the people not agreeing with her rule and all these things. And so she's had to admit, well, it's not failure maybe, but admit that she couldn't do it all and has now had to take on a co-pilot, right? And that co-pilot likes to steer sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. I. Hmm. What? I, tr- I trust him about as far as I can throw him, Scatty. Yeah, I mean, look, he, on on the one side, like, he gives some good advice. He's like, you know, she's, she's like, brimming with frustration uh, about, you know, these, uh, the, the slave market outside her walls. He's like, just, yeah, it's terrible. Okay, we know, but just... I two weeks, it. two yeah. weeks, just two weeks. Focus on the bigger picture. Calm down. Kind of, uh-huh. kind of like that parallel we talked about with the people at Winterfell. It's like, yeah, you got it shitty, but just wait. Stannis has it worse. Just everybody, calm down, right? Um, we shall know. have all we desired. He said, "We yes. desired peace." Right. So all that said, peace. good advice and everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't trust him either. She says herself. I do not trust my husband. You know, good to know they're starting out off the marriage on the right foot. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't trust him either. But he, but all of his advice isn't terrible. I totally agree with you. And you know what? To be frank, there are no more killings. They're done. Yeah. Right. The sons of the harpy assassinations that were happening nightly are not happening anymore. Mm. Yeah, but isn't it isn't a little bothersome? Like how much credit he takes for that. <laughs> like if you're really taking all that much credit, it means you had complete control over them. Yeah. Did what does you that just say? Confess? Are you right. admitting like, something? <laughs> absolutely. Like, I don't know. His dar's his dar's a, a shady dude. Uh, clearly, you know, in it for the power. Uh, but has a, I think a good head on his shoulders. Uh, probably even for rule. But do you think well, do you think he'd have been in it in all in on this if uh, he knew he wasn't going to get heirs? He knew he wasn't gonna. Oh, Danny talking about. Yeah, she's yeah. talking. She goes through the whole. Uh, my womb will quicken when the sun sets. In the blah 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 the blah, 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 blah. prophecy. Yep, and the Mary Mazador prophecy stuff. Um, he he makes a comment to her when he's wooing her, saying something like, "I have my own heirs already. I I can bring them into the marriage." Um, kind of as a selling point for right. him, like you, I come with heirs, so you don't need to worry about that. But he I then, maybe, but he then says he hopes that they made one that night. So, uh-huh. I think he's got long term goals and he's got short term goals. And I think short term was getting Marine back to a place of what he saw as prosperity, and that prosperity did include does include slavery, I'm sure, and things like that. Um, but long term, yeah, I think he he would want a a brace of younglings. <laughs> a brace of younglings. Just don't let Anakin anywhere near them. Uh, 
And dude, I totally thought of, uh, I think I've got Star Wars on the mind where he's talking about, we shall have all we desired, peace. All I could think of was Darth Sidious and Revenge of the Sith. And we shall have peace. <laughs> That's what he says to Anakin. He says, after you've killed all the Jedi in the temple, yeah. you know, he's telling him, you gotta, you gotta kill everybody, then you gotta go to Mustafar, and you gotta kill everyone else, and then we shall have peace. You know? Right. It's the same kind of thing. Are, is, are the means justifying the end? Yeah. Is peace worth what you are, what you are giving up uh, morally and such to, to achieve it? So That's the question here that I think is on Danny's mind. Mm -hmm. uh do you want to talk about uh quentin going to visit the dragons sure i don't have a lot for it but what what do you got well we could get into spoiler territory there let's yeah. let's keep it i mean uh, just okay on, so just on this on... go ahead well if we were gonna stay with quentin i guess i would just say uh you know he's he's a fish out of water here uh he's trying to say all the right things but he's just, he just, I don't know, the poor guy. <laughs> like, you just don't, you, you just don't feel ever like it's going to go well for him. I don't think I've yeah. ever read a chapter with him where I'm like, this is going to turn out well. Yeah, he's woefully out of his league. You're absolutely right. And you get the sense that Danny was trying to test him a little bit by taking yeah. him down to the dragons. Yeah. And she was feeling him out. And it was after he brought up the water gardens and the peace and tranquility of the water gardens that she was like, you know what? You just need to go home. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Do you yeah. notice that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not smelling what I'm stepping in, uh, uh, Quentin. And yeah. um, you know what? Cut your losses. Get home quick before my boyfriend kills you or my husband kills you. And all the best, pal. But poor Quentin, Emmett, poor Quentin, good on you, buddy. He just, you know, he just desperately, he just cannot let his father down. Yeah. Uh, to the point that it's, to the point that it's just, I mean, what what's he going to do at this point? Right. Um, Mismanaged, though. We've talked about that before. I mean. Yeah. Doran should know what he has. But um, anyway. Uh, are we through with Dario yet? I'm just so tired of his bullshit manly rage everywhere, lurking around every corner, threatening to kill everyone. Uh-huh. He's, he's just kind of like that friend that everyone has a hard time leaving behind. You know? It's like, Danny, just let him go. He's not helping you. But, <laughs> like, they're just toxic to you in some way. Did you ever see the movie Rounders? No. It's a movie about poker, but I, right. poker's the back, you know, the backdrop, but it's about a couple of friends basically and one of them just really drags the other one down. And uh I just feel like he's he's just he's a drag to her, like she's always thinking about him, like focusing on him, like why is this piece of shit even in your brain? <laughs> I, I he's quickly he's quickly climbing my list of most hated characters for me 
really really don't like him yeah just because he's just so insufferable in and predictable kind of he's he's an arrogant meathead Uh uh-huh and i think i think there's no type of person in real life i hate worse which is saying something because i'm arrogant but (laughs) but in my own way but he uh, i don't know he i just can't i can't suffer him i think what it is danny's attracted to him because she's attracted to what he represents it's her it's her violent side it's her fire and blood side you know what i mean yeah she says he was only a sellsword no fit consort for a queen and yet i knew that all along but i did it anyway right um my captain was not made for peace dario dario was war and woe she makes the comparison herself um well guess what if he did not betray her, he would master her. He symbolizes that violent fire and blood side for her that she knows she shouldn't turn to, but it still is just so dang attractive to her. Well, guess she what? Can't. In the next chapter, she's going to get a whole different type of fire and blood between her legs, uh, and she's yeah. going to have her fill from that. And so hopefully we can bid Dario adieu then and yeah, that's what I... give that part of her brain to something else. Yeah, this, the sexual undertones of of the next yes. chapter of her of her exclamations in the next chapter definitely yeah. made me think of that. And you know, and then you've got someone like Miss Sunday who is kind of that symbol of peace and innocence that Danny still clings to as well, where she's trying she to does. go to bed and she wants to tell a story. And you can see that those there's those competing sides, and they're symbolized by two characters. Fire and blood is Dario. The yeah. peace and tranquility and living the good life is is Miss Sunday. And uh and you see her just slowly inching towards Dario more and more. Um that she would even consider assassinating Brown Ben Plum, even though he betrayed <laughs> yeah. her, is is says something. You know, there's that line where it says, She was wrapped in a vermilion tokar and black thoughts. You know, oh, red and black, Targaryen, fire and yep. blood. Yep. You know, uh, yeah, the dreams good. of fire and smoke that she has that very last line, she dreamed mm-hmm. of fire and smoke. And then the actual last line that I didn't read in my summary was the morning came too soon or something like that. Right. The morning mm-hmm. came too soon and broke up her dreams of fire and smoke, almost like she was enjoying the dream and didn't want it to end. And or came, or she was the opposite just way. dreading what was coming. Right, that yeah, that she knew that blood was coming and she didn't want it to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could read it either way. I, I literally fair. wrote down in my notes, Miss Sande is my is like my favorite. Um, remind me that there is still good in the world. Danny says mm-hmm. to her. Yeah, and yeah, Miss Sande is that she's a representation of of innocence and good in the world, and uh, yeah, the little and that's still and that's still attractive to Danny. Yeah. Right. Yep. She wants that. It's yep. It's something like you said. She clings to. Yep. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, back back to Dario for just a second. I don't sure. actually mean. I didn't mean to because we've done this in the past. Like I've given Danny shit for being, uh, you know, like so into this guy. And that's actually not my point. I was mainly just attacking Dario and how lame he is. Mm-hmm. Um, having watched Labyrinth today with my kids, uh, for the first time. Not my first time. Just theirs. Um. There's a whole scene in there where, um, where Jennifer Connelly's character gets she's like in the in the dream state 
uh, where she's at this masquerade ball and kind of traipsing about and searching for um, David Bowie's character, the Goblin King. Mm-hmm. And my kids, I can I look at them during the scene, and I can just read the confusion. I mean, that movie's <laughs> pretty confusing anyway. But right. it's a trip. But but they're just like, what is happening? Like this guy's like the bad guy, but she's like seeking him out and dancing with him like i can see their little brains like trying to like figure it out mechanically like what's happening and and i almost try to explain it like she's intrigued by him he represents fantasy and something different and exotic from different from her life and so she's she's interested in that and you know it's the same thing for dario like you you've you've called it the fire and blood blood part and and that I think that is it. I think that is the representation it is, but it's I don't really blame her necessarily for being drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Um I just hate him. <laughs> he does David get Bowie. old after a while. Awesome. He gets old. Yeah. It's the same old shtick with Dario. Yeah. Suffice to say, I think I'm pulling him out of a song of madness next year. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. Let's see here. Uh, what else you want to talk about? Uh, I think that's all I got for this that's one. About it for me too. I guess a, a small a small footnote. The shave paint is out. Um, yeah, out of work. Out of work. Yep, he's been fired by his darn replaced. Um, you know, for all his anger and rage, like he was at least kind of tied to Danny's success. Um, oh yeah so it's kind of a it's kind of an ally maybe missing now but yeah he risked he risked a lot um yeah going going in full bush for danny yeah so uh we'll see how that ends up we might he might come up later we'll see um i'll add a footnote in too that i just saw here uh brown ben plum mentioned that he was going to bring danny a nice wedding gift and that oh, explains yeah. why he was in the bidding for uh, Tyrion in the last Tyrion chapter. It does. Yeah. It does, it does. And and also it begs, like, couldn't he have raised that money? He like, really don't wants. stop bidding. Just keep bidding. You'll get the money from somebody. Like, go beg your sellsword friends. Like, they'll give it to you. You can pay them back with interest because Danny will pay you for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, she must. He must have not cared that much. Yeah. Yep. All right. Should we uh, just keep this Danny chat going? Let's do it. Okay. So Summarize sorry, away. guys. You have to hear the Danny song twice. <laughs> Get one right to. after the other. Get to. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Joe Rathi. She knows just where she gotta go and won't be Tyrion Look out, Westeros, here comes Daenerys Targaryen Are you ready to rumble? Yeah Danny isn't, but she bathes and dresses in a yellow tokar anyways uh, Preparing to attend the grand reopening of the fighting pits that day So she woke up from the last chapter And we are literally just continuing on Miss Ende is disappointed that she is even attending, and Barristan worries about her safety. But a queen belongs to her people, Danny thinks dejectedly. While she readies herself, Barristan reports that he did indeed set pretty Maris free as per Danny's command. 
she revealed to Selmy that the tattered prince was already prepared to come over to Danny's side before Quentin and his Dornishman had jumped the gun. Uh, he, the tattered prince, would still be willing to change allegiance for a price, and that price is, oddly enough, Pentos. Like all of it. Pentos. When they march for Westeros. Uh, thinking of her friend Illyrio and Pentos, he who sheltered her, uh, gave her call Drogo, her dragon eggs, Belwas, Grolio, even Barristan himself. She cannot bring herself to agree to those terms, so hard pass for now. A short time later, Danny joins her husband under the blistering Miranese sun to ride in procession to Daznak's pit. There's an energy and a buzz in the streets. The heat is nearly unbearable. Evidenced by a stop in traffic as a bearer of a palanquin in front of Danny and his star's own palanquin collapses. So this guy, he's, he's helping to carry one of the palanquins and he collapses from exhaustion, heat exhaustion. Danny, witnessing this, sadly proclaims that even though slavery is outlawed in the city, men are still being forced to carry other men. Hisdar retorts that not only are such men now paid for their work, but whereas before they would be whipped for collapsing, they are now being helped. Danny can't disagree as she watches one of her brazen beasts giving the collapsed man water and aid. Small victories, she concedes. Uh, Daznak's pit is vast and full to capacity with representatives from nearly every class, social class of Marine. As Danny and Hisdar, accompanied by their entourage, settle into their box seats, Belwas immediately starts double-fisting honeyed locusts. Hisdar suggest suggests that Danny try a couple herself, but her stomach is not in the mood as she anticipates the violence she's about to see. Hisdar then addresses the crowd to kick off the event. He starts by sucking up to his wife, exhorting all to show their appreciation for their queen, even as the roars of 20,000-plus people wash over her, chanting, Misa! Misa! Danny cannot help but feel that it is their mortal art that they cheer for. That's what they call these slave fights. Mortal art. Uh, or pit fights. The day's event begins, and Danny endures with feigned grace the violence on display. Hearts are cut out, teenagers are gutted, throats are slit, and Danny endures it. Later, two dwarves enter the pit to enter the crowd between, entertain the crowd between fights by jousting in the Westerosi style. Only one is on a pig, and the other is on a dog. Both wear wooden armor, one painted with the colors and sigil of House Lannister, and the other with House Baratheon. They joust, and the crowd laughs, and Danny endures, until Hisdar reveals to her that, surprise, he is arranged for three lions to unexpectedly be loosed into the ring with the dwarves. <laughs> Nope, Danny says, putting her foot down. She forbids them doing that on the ground that this definitely was not in the dwarves' contract. They did not agree to something like this. No way. Uh-uh. Hisdar, who now is forced to feign some grace himself, although his disappointment is written all over his face, acquiesces and calls off the foible. So the two, two dwarves, I wonder who they could be, survive. Danny saves them. 
at this point, Danny is only able to make it through one more fight. This one between the infamous uh, female fighter, Barsena, who's taking on a wild boar before she demands to leave. Belwas isn't doing so great himself with obvious pain in his massive stomach. Hisdar objects, obviously, reminding her that this is what will win her the trust of the people. He continues to protest. They argue back and forth until a shadow ripples across his face and suddenly all the shouting and tumult dies. Every eye turns skyward to find Drogon. His 20-foot wingspan dark against the sun. He swoops low and lands in the pit to feast on the wild boar that's still there in the pit and the defeated Barsena. One guard, not lacking for courage, he certainly has courage. What good will that do if he gets himself killed? Uh, hops on the dragon's back and drives his spear into Drogon's neck, eliciting a scream from Danny even as she makes her way down into the pit. As Drogon kills the foolhardy guard, Hisdar orders his men to kill the dragon. None succeed, most meeting a fiery fate. As Danny approaches, Drogon turns menacingly on her, but Danny, finding the pitmaster's whip, tames Drogon with, with forceful nose, followed by whips to his scaly hide. Daringly, she vaults onto her child's back, wrenching the spear from his neck, and as Drogon leaps into the air, quote, the lash was still in her hand, she flicked it against Drogon's neck and cried, higher! Her other hand clutched at his scales, her fingers scrabbling for purchase. Drogon's wide black wings beat the air. Danny could feel the heat of him between her thighs. Her heart felt as if it were about to burst. Yes, she thought. Yes, now, now, do it, do it. Take me, take me, fly. And that's the end of the chapter. I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah. There we go, baby. Lyrics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Got to. Just got to. Wings uh, cracking like thunder twice in that chapter. I don't buy it. Uh, <laughs> man, uh, an entertaining chapter to read. This is one of those chapters that's uh, reasonably long, but it takes no time to read for me. Just flying yeah, through. through reading about fast. the battles is fun and... The you know the political stuff going on under the scenes is is fun, uh, yeah, good chapter. I really like this one. Yeah, um, let's see, where do we even start with this one? <laughs> well, um, perhaps perhaps with the pure ecstasy at the end, uh, the end is a good place to start. So here's here's that uh, here's that fire and blood between your legs that I was referring to um right what it's almost what, what... Uh, orgasmic <laughs> indeed right yeah 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 i mean i think george could have done a little better uh to be honest um it's very very clearly like an erotic experience for her um <laughs> little heavy-handed maybe yeah 
Yeah, I but get the point, but, buddy. But it's but I think it I think it, it illustrates a point. Um, you know, in the Targaryen history that their power and their their sorrows and their triumphs are inextricably linked with these dragons. And Danny has forgotten that in Marine. Literally hiding them away. Mm-hmm. And it's a comparison. I don't know. Like you like that like you deny something for so long and in that moment when something that you wanted or needed or or felt like you deserved or something you deny it for so long and then you give into it and it's just it can be just like the ecstasy right like this is what i've been missing right this is as much a part of her as as anything right this dragon ancestry yeah, you're right. It comes so naturally to her, yeah. right? It was almost like without thinking, she hopped on the dragon's back. It just came so naturally to her how to interact with him when he was when he was, you know, just going nuts and burning people right and left. She just kind of knew what she needed to do, right? And and, and yet she had to fight for it. It wasn't yeah. like she approached and dragon was like, "Cool, climb on." Hey, there like, you are, mom. No. She, she had, had to, to show that. that grit and that Targaryen, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, leadership or I don't know what the term is, right? But just she had to she had to grab it and she had to take it. Yeah, and what's interesting is it seemed very instinctual. Yeah. And uh I think that's very telling. Yeah. And you know, she was she was never she was never satisfied. You know, just in this last chapter we talked about she achieved peace, she wasn't happy with the peace, you know. She wasn't, this compromise thing just wasn't working out for her. But once she's on that dragon's back flying away, it's like she's able to just forget all of it, which is, it's kind of like, well, good for you, Danny. You're flying a freaking dragon. Uh, But also it's kind of like, oh, but wait, you've got a bunch of people down there that. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's too far. It's too far. It's extremes, right? Like she's got to find the balance somehow. Uh And they talk about this all the time with like Targaryen madness. Like they just, they stray too far and they end up with Summerhall or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mad Ares or, you know, half the other Targaryens that were crazy or terrible or, you know, indulge too much or, you know, whatever the problems were, the Targaryens, they walk too close to the edge instead of like reining it in and being balanced by the Missandei half, right? Yep. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and still though, I mean, let's not, let's not downplay the significance of this moment, right? We've been waiting pretty much five books. Yeah. And someone's riding a dragon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's really cool. It is. So, yep, for sure. Uh yeah, I mean, probably come back to I mean, there's going to be consequences, obviously. Sure. Uh, we don't even have to spoil anything by saying that. Yeah. But for now, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Want to move to the political side a little bit? Sure. Are you surprised we haven't heard anything from Illyrio? Um, not necessarily. He's a long ways away. Yeah. I, get, I bring it up because of what the Tattered Prince asked for. And Danny uh-huh. is, you know, said no. Like, she owes everything to Illyrio. At least that's kind of the way she feels, I think. 
Right. And, like, so I'm a pretty terrible investor, right? <laughs> but I made, like, one good pick, right, out of out of the, you know, dozen or so picks that I made. I'm, I, I invest hardly at all in the stock market other than, you know, the 401k stuff, right? But I, I do a little bit. I dabble a little bit. But I talk to somebody that's in my life regularly, and I never shut up about the great pick that I have, right? <laughs> like, I never shut up about how awesome mm. a pick that was when we talk about this. I don't bring up mm. the stuff that I did poorly, right? But shouldn't Illyrio just be like, damn right, I called this. This is my influence. This is, I'm all over this, right? Hey, uh, Don't Danny. forget about me over here. Yeah. Right, you gonna come visit me or what? Right, like I'm. I'm just surprised it's not more letter, like letters or you know whatever. Like we we await you in a in in you know in Pentos. We will wine you and dine you. We're so excited for you. Like just kind of clinging to the success. And maybe he's afraid it won't be successful because Marine has been a bit of a shit show. But um, I'm just surprised we haven't heard anything. I guess. No, that's that's fair. And especially because I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated. We know Illyrio has slaves, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated that he's in the slave trade, but... They're not um, actually slaves, technically, right? Aren't they, like, not called slaves? They're called servants, but they're owned. Yeah. yeah but they're, I mean, they're, they're basically chapter. slaves. They're, yeah, yeah, you're right. It, you're right. He he kind of tries to talk around it. But they are slaves. I mean, let's not really dice it. They they have no free will. They they can't really right. choose to leave. But they're not like yeah. They yeah, they, they kind of fair. have some choices. They can be, I think if you like if they have kids, like though they're not slaves, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not exactly slavery, but it's about as close as you can get. Right. So he with all the disruptions that we talked about in the last episode that Danny is causing throughout the known world, you know, we talked about clear over to Westeros with Hardhome and the wildlings being carried away because yep. of the demand for slaves. Yep. I find it hard to believe that Illyrio hasn't inserted himself a little more into Danny's business a little bit. Yep. So um, that's a good point that you bring up. The way you said inserted and then business, it just made it sound filthy, Matt. I think uh, you should that's... try harder. My word choice is my word choice. <laughs> I carefully weigh my words when it comes to innuendo. You know that. I, I do. I do know that. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I that's lo- a good point about Illyrio. I loved how you put it in your summary: uh, double fisting the honeyed locusts. <laughs> and that would normally his him getting sick would normally be a big deal, but George perhaps cleverly puts it just as these asides while Drogon is tearing everything up. Yeah. And it just is this small part of the chaos that is happening to where you don't even really give too much significance to it. But well, well right. And it's significant. It would have been a lot more significant if it had been anyone other than strong Belwas eating them because it would have killed them earlier and easier because he ate so much. You could actually just believe, Oh, he's, yeah, he's got an upset stomach. He ate too much, mm-hmm. right? But if Danny had eaten two of them, she would have died, right? Probably. So you're saying the locusts were poisoned? No, oh, I guess am I spoiling? Mm-hmm. I am. No, I am spoiling a little. You're not. 
you're not because <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Huh? We'll talk theories. We'll talk theories about it. Davos after dark. Yeah, but that's one of those things where it's like, that's it. That's what you got. Yeah. So. Uh. So anyway. Uh. I I love strong Belwas. That's uh. That's been no secret on this podcast. Right. It's just the way he, his commentary during the fights is just, is just hilarious. Well, I could have done that. Yeah. I would have fought him better. Yeah. What does he say? Fighting a boar isn't brave or something. <laughs> uh, she would have fought me, it would have been better. Or yes. something like that. <laughs> something he said, I can't remember what it was now. Something he said reminded me of Jason Bateman in Dodgeball. Have you seen Dodgeball? Oh, yes. A long time ago, though. Yeah. It's like, bold choice. See if it pays off. Just like his matter of fact, obvious statements. I love Strong Belt Loss. Uh huh. <sighs> he's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I was a little puzzled by his Dar's reaction to the dragons, uh, or to Drogon. And maybe we'll talk about this later, but I, no, actually, I don't know if we will. But at first, it says his Dar looked at Drogon with fear, lust, and rapture was a word that George used. Yep. And he was licking his lips. Yep. But then after the courageous guy gets burnt up he calls for drogon to be killed kill yeah. the beast thought of yeah. beauty and the beast of course thought that was a little odd well so my impression of of the uh what was it rapture lust and fear in reverse order mm-hmm. um the way i took that was was more a statement about the games and the bloodlust that they the frenzy they get whipped up into for these games that this is to him it's like the ultimate extension of these games it is mm. carnage and death and and it's just it's a natural progression of this which speaks perhaps i don't know societally or whatever about marine um but also speaks more specifically individually about his dar and his nature I think it's meant to be commentary about his specific nature that he yeah, is scary. right that he's got some deep down insatiable desires for this kind of destruction and carnage uh-huh. that's the way i took that um who knows uh then killing it i think you know maybe reason took took hold and he's like, oh, this could destroy what everything I've built over the last six months, right? right. So he's like, let's put an end to this. Yep. Yeah, a- absolutely. You know, he's thinking, I mean, let's be clear here. Hisdar does not want to be Danny's little side king forever. You know, he's not willing to just let Danny rule everything, and he's just kind of the passive king who she's married to, right? Agreed. He's wheedling in his way in. He's got objectives. He's got goals. He's got things he wants to complete. And as long as Danny still has her dragons, that's something she'll always have over him, right? They are a tremendous wild card. So the opportunity, you know, not only is it like you said, to you know, reason takes over, you got to kill this thing that's causing all this carnage and damage and everything to everything he worked so hard to build. But the perhaps the opportunity to get one out of the way, especially the craziest, strongest, biggest one of them all, yeah, 
you know, it has to be enticing to him. Who's frankly a, a danger to your whole city anyway, because it's out of control. Absolutely. Yep. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it makes sense for him on, on several levels, I think. Um, you know, Danny's hold on power has always been kind of interest, interesting to me. Okay. I think we brought, I think we talked about it early in the podcast when, when it's mentioned that these dragons are the sizes of, they're the size of dogs, right? Like the people that were there early with her and saw her like walk into the fire and do this crazy shit and hatch these dragons like i can understand why they're loyal and will follow follow her wherever she goes mm-hmm. but for other like karth specifically like i'm just kind of surprised they didn't just murder the dragons and get her out of the way right like she did not have any sort of stake to power at that point the dragons weren't strong enough but i think i think what his dar sees with the dragons is if she doesn't have the dragons and brown ben pump said something similar in this chapter or the last one rather about if you can't control the dragons, you don't have an advantage in this fight anymore, right? right? And if Hisdar loses all the dragons, I think he knows his hold on Marine is very tenuous, right? But I think he thinks he can lose one. Yep. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh. So a quick reach around. The best kind. Yes. <laughs> nice and quick. Finish up. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. We're done. Uh, a few episodes ago, I talked about we, we got into a wallflowers chat that was way longer than it needed to be. Uh, and we brought I brought up the song Three Ways. Three ways out of every box. Crawl out the bottom or you climb out the top. Uh-huh. And I compared it to Danny, the third way. He says, if you can't find your way out, then you just burn it to the ground, and then you disappear like smoke into the clouds. So just reaching that around, bringing it around full circle, that's where Danny is now. She couldn't climb out. She couldn't crawl out from under. Burned the sucker down. Flew off into the clouds on a dragon. If you can't find your Indeed. wallflowers the whole way out <laughs> uh, man that's all I got um, anything else you want to talk about on this one uh, I've got a lot of little things but I don't know Me how too. important they are that's what um, I feel like I feel like with this major stuff I've got all these little notes and I'm like ah do they really matter now but <laughs> yeah I mean I guess one of one of them that's bigger and, and more character driven I suppose um you know Danny's struggles Danny struggles a lot with the adoration from her people uh-huh um in in this case specifically saying it has nothing to do with me it has to do with the mortal art and maybe she's partially right about that but uh I don't know it it takes it takes a special kind of person to be able to take these mass levels of adoration from people and, and applause and, and approval mm-hmm. and kind of just deny it and kind of just no, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let myself, I'm not going to let myself bask in that. And Danny, Danny's good at that. And I like it. 
It, it's it's an easy thing to let that type of praise turn you into a monster. And we have evidence of that in our country. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but I, I, I like how she's very careful to stick to her failures, right? And remember those and not not be taken in by the adoration component yeah to keep her eye on the prize and go right you know what yeah you're happy but this isn't right this isn't even close to what i had in mind right. for you guys exactly yeah you said it right. better than i did thank you no i wouldn't have thought of it if you hadn't said it but um on that note i did i did notice a little thing where she thinks she's thinking about you know when she eventually marches for westeros and then she thinks and if I never march for Westeros? Yeah. Oh no. I think that's kind of the first real instance that I remember that Danny thought of me remembering Danny thinking, Whoa, maybe this won't happen. Maybe this is where I'm gonna stay. And uh it's Danny growing up. She's unfortunately this happens. As you as you get to be an adult, sometimes you start you, when you start out in, in your adulthood, you have these dreams and, and everything, you know, the world's still in front of you and everything. And, you know, you want to be in a famous band and, and all this stuff. And as you grow up and everything, some of those things start to, you start to compromise a little bit here and there. And, and mm -hmm. if you're not careful before you know it, you're like, oh, you know, I'm halfway into my 30s now and I'm not quite where I wanted to be. That's kind of depressing to think about. I'm not saying I'm like that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, as, as Al Pacino says in Any Given Sunday, you know, as you get older in life, things, things get taken from you. That's just, that's just life. You know, when you get old in life, things get taken from you. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff. Yeah. That's it that's right? it yeah like... but but and and that's true and i think she's feeling that here that her options have dwindled that she's become trapped that she doesn't have she doesn't have the freedom to succeed in the way that she always thought she was going to by you know going back and punishing the usurper and taking back the throne and doing all these things and being this great targaryen and i think we're meant i think we're meant to feel that over the last two chapters this sense of totally of of dwindling hope and 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 being trapped and and controlled just so that we can see her break through those things at the end of this chapter this is not just riding a dragon this is danny remembering who she is yep right uh or or at least or at least half of who she is she's she's been she's been doing the peacekeeper I want, I want to make the world a good place side, and she's forgotten the fire and blood passion side that makes her a Targaryen, and she's nothing without it. Mm. Not nothing, but she's she's a fraction of who she can be without it. It's a huge part of her identity. Yeah, right. it, it is her. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yep. And, and, you know, this flying away on the dragon is completely impulsive. It doesn't... It certain, like we said, it certainly doesn't help the situation in Marine any, and she's yeah. left behind everybody. It certainly doesn't help her get to Westeros, yeah, which were her two goals, right? Well, not directly, it doesn't. Right. 
but but I think it's I mean we're not spoiling anything because we don't know anything but for her to get to Westeros I think that moment needed to happen where she found herself again absolutely but she doesn't know that no right no no right it was impulse yeah Mm -hmm. and you're correct we've talked about this before how we just feel like these dragons oh no Danny's Danny's suing for peace, but at the expense of these dragons that are now locked up and mm-hmm. uncontrollable. And how is she ever going to get to Westeros if she can't control her dragons? And that's kind of symbolic of her identity that you just described very well as a Targaryen and how and how important that is to her to be successful, that she is in tune and in touch with that. So, yeah, indirectly, this is this is a big step for her. but And it needed to happen, probably. Um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. But uh, it is kind of cool over the last, I don't know, two books almost. She's been so driven by these goals that she's set for herself. Three books. And then all of a sudden now she's just kind of gave in. Yeah. And and that might end up helping her more than any of this other stuff she's tried to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've only really got one more thing. I don't know how much you've got. Um, but I wanted to just say this. I. You know, Danny got a lot of kind of flack. Not she doesn't get flack. It's just she doesn't do as well in a song of madness as I expect. And you read the comments from people, and a lot of people just kind of they don't they don't really like her much. And you know, she certainly made some questionable choices and been hard on people before. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to like to read this chapter about her running across the hot sand in her bare feet and like challenging a dragon. You know to like tame him and save people and just like taking control. It's hard for me to read that and be like, how do you not, how do you not love her? I love Danny. I agree. I agree. Like she's just, she's so strong in her way. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've never understood the, you know, I don't know whether it's a show thing or I don't want to pin it at that, but I, Plus, I think she's one of the more liked characters on the show. But anyway, I, I just, I think she's great. I love Danny. She exudes strength to me. Yeah. And. But with I, a compassionate side, right? Like, she makes hard mm. choices and she has people killed and she does some things that are shady as shit, which rulers do. I got into it with one of the people on Twitter during during the Song of Madness. Just, I said, like, I feel like compared to the other, almost every other character in the series. Danny has more impossible choices to make than any of them. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like every choice she has to make is like, you're choosing someone to die. One way or the other. Like, you're, it, it, they're shitty choices every time. You choose this, and these people are going to starve. You choose this, and these people are going to end up in slavery. You choose, like, it, they're all impossible choices. And so it, it's easy maybe to, like, look at them and second-guess her a lot. But, like, she has strength. She has compassion. I, I don't know... Yeah, I just don't. I've never really gotten the hate for her. Yep, I would venture a guess that some of it comes from her storyline. She's so disconnected; people don't like the Miranese mm. not and, and that whole thing. Yep, and some of it seems to come with the with the the protagonist. People are more critical on on, and I don't know if everyone would consider Danny a protagonist, but the main characters in a story, right? Jon Snow usually makes it farther in A Song of Madness. Heck, he won you know, the season before, but, uh, or the tourney before, but he gets a lot of flack on, on the Twitters too, from people. Yeah. But he gets, he gets it for being 
tropey and a little boring, you know? But I don't find him that at all. Uh, no, but more so than Danny. Like he's more tradition. He's more traditional hero tropey than Danny is. I think. Maybe. And so I think some people come down on him for that. But I agree. I like John. I like John a lot. But it se- yeah, but, it seems like these these main guys are the ones who get a lot of the hate. And I don't know if it's just a main yeah. guy syndrome that sometimes you're a little more critical of them or something. But yeah, perhaps. Anyways, I agree with you. Uh, should we? Should we go to Theon? Because we got some big chapters still to look at, buddy. We probably should. Yeah. All right, Theon. We're finally done with Danny. Holy cow. Are we? Uh, I mean, in this episode. Oh, yes, with this episode. We just spent like an hour straight talking about Daenerys Targaryen. But there is still more, right, in the book? It's not yes. a wins chapter that I've... It's, it's yeah, okay. Yes. Sometimes I forget. Um, okay, Theon. His daddy lost a war, so he's living in the north. Now he's almost stuck between being a kraken and a wolf. Yes, Dion Greyjoy, with a smile so sly, put an arrow through your eye. Yes, Dion Greyjoy, make a lady scream and a wonder be a king. Yes, Dion Greyjoy, loyalty speaks, but there's something there that rings. Yes, Dion Greyjoy. Theon, Abel, and some washerwomen eat breakfast in the Great Hall, trying to digest their food while keeping their secret locked up tight in the company of dangerous men. You see, they intend to free Arya Stark, winner of A Song of Madness 2018. That is, Abel and co. intend to free Arya. But little do they know that this is Jane Poole, something Theon has decided to keep to himself. Theon intends to free Jane, and perhaps himself, but he's cracking a little bit. This will not work he says to Abel. But Abel sticks to it anyway. All they have to do is reach Stannis, and guys, he's close. The Warhorns can still be heard outside the walls. He's not that far away, and Abel thinks there's a shot. As they think on it, though, the doors to the Great Hall are opened, and in come some frays. With a body. Another murder has happened, and this time it is Little Walder, the big one. Theon looks to the washerwomen, but they deny it quietly. Anyway, Ramsay is pissed. The accusations fly. White Harbor men, Manderly are behind it, people are saying. To which Manderly replies that he barely knew little Walder. Maybe he was a squire to Ramsay, he doesn't know. But then he brings the absolute savagery. Mayhaps this is a blessing. Had he lived, he would have grown up to be a fray. He is attacked for this, his neck being sliced open nearly fatally by Hostine Frey. Six mermen and three freys die in the ensuing carnage before it can be broken up as Wyman clings to life. Roos interrupts, indicating that it is time to take the battle to Stannis, who is three days' ride away. Hostine will go through the main gate, White Harbor men from the east gate, now. This totally fucks Abel's plan, which Theon rationally assumes now to be off the table. But no. Rowan, one of the washwomen, indicates that they must do it now! They can use the confusion of the departure to their advantage, and more importantly, if they wait, it will for sure be too late. For brevity, Kalisar will explain it thusly. The plan is to sneak Jaria out by bringing her a bath and swapping her with a washerwoman, then heading out the gates. The risk, of course, being that someone notices it's Haley Mills instead of, um, Haley Mills. Simple, right? They set to work. They meet in the godswood and then set off for water for the bath. It takes seemingly forever to accomplish, as anything does when you're waiting and anxious. But eventually they have their pails of water, they make it to the tower without any imperial entanglements, but then again getting out, that's the real trick, isn't it? 
And Jaria isn't helping much. When they get into the room, she is terrified. She's a mess, huddling in a corner, hiding. Then, like Theon before her, insisting it was a Ramsay trick to test her loyalty, she professes that she will do whatever Ramsay wants, even with the dog. Yes, people. That is where we are. Ramsay is making his wife fuck the dog. Mm. It's That's happening. Anyway. Jane is getting to near hysterics as she professes her loyalty. Afraid the guards outside the door will hear, Theon calms her, reassures her, reminds her who she is quietly so the other girls don't hear, and promises that they can get her away. Getting away. That clicks, and Jane is all in. They switch the girls and make their way past the guards with no trouble. They didn't even look at Jane, but getting past the gates is a tougher test, and frankly their plan is kind of awful. First they split up, some going to get Abel at the Great Hall, I guess. Then those remaining go to the battlement gate, the one with no way through the outer wall. Then they try to seduce slash overpower the two guards, which they kind of succeed in. But Jane screams bloody fucking murder, which, you know, it is, uh, alerting the guards everywhere. Frenya stops to slow down the pursuit that's coming. And the other three make it to the top of the outer wall. But what now? Well, we'll use Frenya's rope to get down. Frenya. Stopped 50 yards away, fighting six men. We'll use her rope. Then Lancelot, Galahad, and I jump out of the rabbit. <laughs> Just then. Perhaps if we built a large wooden <laughs> badger. <laughs> Just then, Holly gets shot twice and falls off the wall. Surrounded, all that's left to do for Theon and Jane is to jump and hope they can reach Stannis. They jump. End of chapter. Welp. Welp. Uh, Theon's pretty good at improv. Kind you know, of, he pulled it off. Yeah, he kind of, he he approaches the gates at the or the guards at the gate. Hey, I I brought these these girls for you. Uh-huh. What? He just pulled that out of his ass. They they challenge why the why the washerwomen are different than they usually are. He says that the last ones brought cold water, and so they've been dismissed. He's uh he's pretty good at making this happen. Thinking on his toes. Yeah. yeah. He's got a he's got good motivation, which is not getting his skin cut off by Ramsey. Yeah, he's for <laughs> sure motiv- motivated by fear. Yeah. But you're right, he does. And uh as we pointed out at the beginning at the top of the episode, this chapter is actually called Theon. Yes. Uh, Whereas the others were all called what? We had Ghost and Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Turncloak. The Turncloak. Prince Some, of Winterfell. Something up Prince of Winterfell, yep. Yeah. Yep. And here we actually get him saying, he says, I was Reek before mm-hmm. and might be Reek again. But he's he's Theon now. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? What did it? What switched it? I think it's well, actually, been... Go ahead. He he attributes it, but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts because I think there's more to what he thinks. Uh, he he attributes it attributes it to hearing his name spoken in the weirwood. Uh, yeah. Uh, he he hears it on the wind. He hears his name Theon Theon. Um. And, and he kind of attributes it back to that. But what what more is there to it? Yeah, uh, I, I we we've talked about this a little bit in the previous chapters about um, 
you know, the wreck of a human he was, uh, and the progression towards a semblance of himself, although for sure changed, but, but remembering who he is and who he was, um, it's Winterfell to me and, and the gods, you know, whispering his name on the wind or Bran doing it or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think, I think Winterfell gives him a sense of history, a sense of past, forces him to, to forces him to think about his demons daily and the only way you can kind of come out of this kind of thing i think is to face those demons and and gain comfort in, not comfort gain acceptance in what you've done and who you've been to try to overcome it and i think winterfell provides that for him not not to mention like we, we've talked about this with uh with skin changing before just having the time to focus on it like mm -hmm. we we hear the last several chapters we read from him is just walking around thinking a lot, trying to avoid any attention, thinking about who he is and what he's done and where he is and um that kind of time to yourself can actually allow you the opportunity to succeed in 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 shaking some of these things off. So that was a way longer answer than probably you were looking for. No, I really liked it. Thanks for saying it. And I think at the same time while giving him that strength to reflect or giving him that opportunity to reflect that grew into strength, right? It's almost like Winterfell is, is strengthening him a bit. Yeah. Um, interesting that he's still, even still in the midst of an identity crisis, although maybe not as severe where he's, uh, he, he admits that he heard the old God say his name going back to the weirwood tree and everything. But then immediately after, he tries to convince himself that he's ironborn. <laughs> Did you catch that? It's just like yeah. a little line or two where he's like, yeah, the old god said my name, but but I'm ironborn. I need to, you know, you know, drown god. Da -da -da -da. And right. it's this ongoing struggle still with Theon. And I think that's a really fascinating, that's the fascinating part about his character is, is finding Theon, right? It's a cool little side story to Absolutely. A Song of Ice and Fire. Right. And, you know, like, not that he's deserved what he's gotten, but maybe he has. I don't know. Theon was a dick before, right? Yeah. It's I'm not sure. like I really want him to find the old Theon. I want him to grow and become a new Theon. And some of that comes from the old Theon, right? But Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the old Theon was, he, he was loyal to... To a point, Ish. Um, he had but... confused confusion in his loyalties. I think, right? Yeah, uh, which he you know... addresses in this chapter, saying he should have died with Rob. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's learning from his past, and like you said, that's helping him become a better Theon. He can't change who he is or what he, or who he was and what he did, but he can learn from those things and and move forward. And it'll be interesting to see if he if he does. But... Yeah. How about uh, the? This is something I didn't even think of. Maybe we mentioned it before. The irony that Roose had Arya at Heron Hall and didn't know it. We haven't talked about this. <laughs> like he had her and didn't know it, and now he's like pretending this girl is her and knows it isn't. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. If anyone knows, it's him. Yeah. Well, no, because he didn't know it was her before. But, yeah, that is that is funny. Yeah. Uh, 
Let's see. A lot of this stuff is Davos After Dark stuff, man. Um, so, Abel and the Washerwomen. Where the heck was Abel during all this? Uh-huh. That's going to be all Davos After Dark. See, uh, your boy I a, Wyman. I got a little thing. Oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Wyman. Well, I was just going to let you bask in the glory of Wyman for a minute. <laughs> uh, I mean... Saved pretty... by the saved by the chins. Yeah, saved by the chins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the best the best line George George outdid himself. Uh, what is it? Flopped around like a clubbed seal. I, think. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't write it down. <laughs> Sounds about right though. Oh man, like you could just kind of see that fat body just kind of like flopping around. Walrus. Yeah. <laughs> hands slapping the ground like fins i mean i can't believe i'm laughing at this but <laughs> it's pretty morbid of us yeah here we are yeah here yep. we are a little surprising that it, i mean there doesn't seem to be much concern that he's gonna die from this wound but he's speaking in the chapter yeah. but, but seem can medicine of this time heal a neck wound like this i guess they can Whew. he's yeah. He's got a lot of armor, I guess, there. <laughs> yeah. Plot armor. Uh, you said you had something small. Oh, uh, yeah, just a little oddity. Um, when I, I skipped most of this, all, all of this, really, in my summary, but they make a quick stop in the in the Godswood, uh, Theon and Rowan do, before they go get the water. They're waiting there to meet some people. Mm, yeah, okay. And uh, and Theon says winter is coming at some point, and Rowan uh-huh. like freaks out at him. Is like you yeah. you have no right to say the Stark words. Not you. Not you. Not ever. She's oddly protective of. I mean, these washerwomen they're they're wildlings, right? They're spearwives. Yeah, for all we know, they've been beyond the wall. They don't even know that these words belong to the Starks. I mean, it's it's an interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting. I guess, I guess maybe maybe the explanation is as simple as this shows just how big a deal the Starks really are. They are royalty in the North, and the, even the wildlings think of them with respect. Maybe. Um, yeah, because you pointed out when you said that quote, she calls him Lord Eddard. Yeah. And wildlings are not kneelers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just, a, it stood out to me. It was a little weird. Like, why are you so... Yeah. That's the kind of thing where I would expect somebody to just be like, whatever, you shouldn't say that. But she's like, up in his business about it. She's, she, yeah, she's Puts a knife to his throat or something. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. I think she strangled, like, puts her hand around his throat or something. Yeah. Anyway. That was one of the things that I picked up. It was just yesterday. And I was reading and I was like, oh man, I should have put this on the Davos After Dark list. But by then we'd already finalized it and stuff. So I didn't. But uh, there is a theory out there of who Rowan is. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, we can come to it for Davos After Dark. Maybe you can just spoil it for me when yeah, we get let, there. Let's put a pin in it. and Yeah. It's compelling. I don't know if narratively it has a purpose, but it there is... A compelling argument to say that maybe she is not from beyond the wall. It's Lyanna, isn't it? It is. No, it's Benjamin, actually. <laughs> Quaith. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, Benji and Quaith, same thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, what else you got? You got anything else here? I don't think so. A lot of Davos after Dark Sea stuff for yeah. this chapter. Um. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh! The terribleness of of Jane Poole's story. Oh, you man. I mean, maybe we've covered it enough in your summary, but I mean, I've said it before. Hers might be the most tragic storyline of a Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, could be. In terms of someone who just was in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, four books ago. And has done nothing but suffer for it ever since. Yeah, the argument I always use against anyone having it worse in the series is always Craster's boy sons. But but <laughs> yes. yeah, because they literally are turned into monsters days after being born. But uh, but but yeah, like from a human re- relatability perspective, yeah, you're right. Bro, Jane's Jane's up there for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's just maddening. But, it is. Uh, I, it also it also serves to underscore something that people in the fandom a lot of the times say that you know George has nothing but gray characters or you know things like that. And um, Ramsey is a villain. Oh yeah, he is. Like, I think I think my first read through I hated Joffrey the most, mm. but 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 I've. And I still hate him. He's a little shit, but I've at least come to understand that he had some things in his life that, that helped mold him in that way. And maybe Ramsey has too a little bit, but he is sadistic in a way that is just plain evil. Yep. And No question. Uh, yeah. Just a bad guy. Yeah. I think we talked about this in the season two of Stranger Things. They they brought in a new character and the writers admitted he was brought in to be our antagonist yeah we felt we just needed to have a bad guy in the story yeah and that's kind of disappointing to hear at first that oh you guys didn't try to flesh him out a little more and i actually think they did a good job of fleshing this particular character out to some degree they did, but a little bit. It, it seems like that's the same thing with with ramsey is george just knew he had a de- he had to have a bad guy you know and yeah there he is and i think there are a handful of them but but this is he's it in my opinion in terms of top of the list ramsey bolton snow well gregor clegane is pretty bad too okay i'll give you that one (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so yeah it's heartbreaking i mean this and and frankly like to show i may i maybe did her a disservice in my summary i don't know um but just the strength for her to to still be able to be like yes okay escape right yeah let's do this like you know maybe it's like a fight or flight kind of thing where it's like this isn't the only decision i could have made because it's any chance to get out of this, but at the same time, people in those situations frequently just cower, mm-hmm. right? And kudos to Theon for finding a way to connect with her uh, that was meaningful enough that uh, that uh, you know she she felt like she could 
rate, you know, bring her confidence to a level where she could she could take action. And I think you've got maybe some song lyrics that could go with that. Oh, my Goo Goo Dolls lyrics? Yes. <laughs> Unless you were saving them for later. I tweeted it today. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Uh, the the song Name. I love that song. Oh, so good by the Goo Goo Dolls. You could hide beside me maybe for a while and I won't tell no one your name. You could came up on my shuffle today and I thought of Theon and Jane with that and I almost started to cry. It was beautiful. I've got Ham I've got Hamilton tickets tomorrow so I've been listening to nothing but that for like 2 weeks straight. Oh, that's straight. right you mentioned that. Uh, Good for you, man. What time is the show excited. at? Oh, it's like 8. Yeah. Sweet. Yep. Well, let us know what you think. I'm sure you're going to love it. You've loved the I know you've loved the soundtrack for probably a couple years now. Yeah, and so I'm excited that you get to get to see the whole thing now. Yeah, I'm super excited. Okay, we done with Theon? Sure. Okay. I mean, you think they have a shot of getting away? George gave us a little glimmer of hope when that one dude got chucked off the wall and yep was seen crawling away. Yep. But uh, you know, but there Rome wasn't a whole the army of people leaving the gates at the same time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's the problem is I searched far and wide through all of Theon's Winterfell chapters and even beyond going back to the Winterfell chapters, trying to find out where along Winterfell's wall the effing battlement gate is. And there is nowhere that gives a clear indication as to where it is in terms of north, south, east, west, between this and this, blah, 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 blah. I like poured over maps and I, I read their, where they were walking and stuff. Like it says they left the great hall and then they turned left or something, you know, <laughs> like tried yeah. to follow their directions to try to ascertain where the battlement gate was. And if it was close to the main gate that the army was going to leave out of, it's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah. And so that makes it, that makes it tougher. That uh, I know. We don't know where the battlement gate is and it doesn't appear on any Winterfell maps unless I haven't, Unless there's a map I haven't seen. I was listening to Nauticast, uh, I don't know, last week sometime. Mm-hmm. And uh, they teased that they might do like a... Uh, they might do like a Winterfell... Like the architecture and layout of Winterfell episode or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be interesting. Be interesting um, if they have ideas. They, yeah. they certainly could have picked up on something I didn't actually... I. Have full confidence that they would because they've already both done that on a number of occasions. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah but they they might just speculate, right? I mean, what you did sure. was look for evidence. They might lay out the whole thing and then speculate based on what they know, what, like where it would have to be or where it could be, because mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a different level of effort, probably. All right, All right uh, should we move on to John? Yes. All right. Where we're going up north where the winter's cold And the icicles bloom like the bluest rose We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf He's John Snow Tormund, Giant's Bane, is a bellower. He rants and raves at John for nearly a day about the terms John is presenting to allow Tormund's wildlings through the wall. But John is in a position of negotiating strength here. He knows it, and he doesn't back down from the terms he desires. 
though in the end he is still plagued with doubts about whether he has done the right thing. John notes that a fair bargain leaves both sides unhappy, and it holds up here. The wildlings give up virtually all of their wealth, which is probably not that great, to be honest, and a hundred sons in order to get through the wall. And the Black Brothers must grit their teeth and let crow killers that are considered the enemy not only through the gate, but basically to live amongst them. It's not great for anybody, really. So, three days hence, Mance, or Mance <laughs> Tormund will lead the Wildlings, 100 sons first, through the gate. Simple as that. For their part, the Free Folk aren't as big a threat as they appear. Six out of every seven of them, by John's estimate, is a woman or child, and sickness and hunger are doing a number on their population. They're weak. As John departs Tormund's camp for the wall, Val appears with Ghost beside her. Playful banter flirting ensues as they discuss what is next for the Wildling Princess. She'll have free run of the Castle Black, but is still technically a prisoner. She'll have new quarters, too, as she is moved from the King's Tower to the crumbling Hardin's Tower. Val also offers to help with the transition, as more free folk join the ranks. John agrees. A subservient wildling princess kneeling before Queen Selyse might do wonders for her disposition as she chews this unpalatable meal of wildlings coming through the wall. He shouldn't have gotten his hopes up, though. The first thing Selyse does is complain about Val's pseudo-nephew monster keeping them up all night. She is in no way impressed by the wildling princess. Selyse quickly and curtly dismisses Shireen from the room, and John lays out the plan. 4,000 wildlings come through, including 200 giants and 80-ish mammoths going the long way around, and the wildlings will garrison the empty castles on the wall, filling it out so they got more eyes on the wall. Selyse quickly starts adding conditions, though, when John finishes telling the conditions that he's laid out with them. The wildlings must, of course, bow to Stannis and convert to the Lord of Light. Uh, let me think about that for a minute. Mm, no, that's not what they agreed to. The Free Folk are not kneelers. Selyse indicates that they must be made to kneel. There's trouble in the air, you can smell it. But Val was there, I'll let her tell it. Do that, your grace, and we will rise again at the first chance. Rise with blades in hand, she says to Selyse. For her part, Selyse <laughs> does not take this kindly, indicating that John should reconsider his offer to the wildlings or face Stannis upon his return. John apologizes for displeasing her, but does not agree with her or offer any real recalcitrance for his actions over the deal that he struck. Now, what follows is one of the more curious passages in all of A Song, on Fi a Song of Ice and Fire, for me at least. Val goes off about Shireen's grayscale, indicating it is death, perhaps asleep, but death nonetheless, repeating that the child is unclean and she, she should be put out of her misery and demanding that Monster be immediately moved away from the dead girl. Wow. It's a little... Little turn from Val there. Anyway, no rest for bastards. Selyse informed and unappeased, he must now serve the same feast to his brothers and two leaders, the Mountain Clans. He does so atop the wall, as if to remind these blind men what they are really defending against. Regardless, they don't take it well. Men like the Weeper cannot be trusted. They will have the numbers to end the Night's Watch in a single night. Where will they live? They better not go beyond the gift. What will they eat? Why wouldn't you take their arms? Look, these are not bad questions and concerns, and in cases, John seems to kind of acknowledge that his answers aren't perfect, but it all comes down to a few things for John. There are women and children in this camp that need saving. 
the wildlings have knowledge to fight the common foe that they might need. And frankly, math. Fewer whites, and more people on the wall. It's pretty simple to John. But those reasons don't seem to strike the same chord with the men John's trying to convince, and neither do the oaths that uh, the wildlings will swear. What does matter to them, though, are the 100 sons. They're intrigued. But hostages only work if one is willing to use them. Could John do that? I may seem a green boy in your eyes, but I am still a son of Edward Stock. Bowen Marsh is still unconvinced. He can't handle the Night's Watch training the enemy to kill. He calls it treason. For 8,000 years, the Night's Watch stood on the wall and fought these wildlings. But John keys in on this. They are not meant to fight wildlings. The oath says to protect the realms of men. Nothing about killing wildlings. For his part, Marsh isn't, is, is quelled, but he's not satisfied. The men agree to do as John instructs. But the tension is palpable. You could chew it, but to save your jaw the stress. John regards his men and remembers Mel's warning. Daggers in the dark. End of chapter. Come on, guys. Yeah. Just work with him here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a little bit in there. Um, I had it in my Davos After Dark notes, but it's not... I look back, it's not spoiling at all, so I brought it up here. Hmm. Um... A little note when when John is talking to Tormund that says Tormund lost one of his sons, and uh, he rose as a white. Kind of before they even knew he died, like he had he had risen in white, and Tormund says, "I had to take care of him myself." Yep. We had talked in this podcast before about like, is there some sort of process that the others have to go through to like make. A dead body become a white? Does it just, like, happen, Walking Dead style? Like, if you're in the north or whatever, north of the wall, you just become a white when you die? Like, what are the, you know, what's really happening? And I think I had always said that I thought, it seems like they've got to do something. Like, either they had to kill them, or they had to do something. It seems, based on Tormund's information, as little as it is, that you die, you could just become a white. I feel like there's got to be something more to it, but yeah, he Tormund doesn't give us very much infra- information. Like, if Torwind had been slain by another, that would be one thing. But it says he dies from the cold, right? Right. Yep. And then he just rose as a white. So, but there's got to be something there. You don't just die and become a white. Well, dies from the cold is interesting language. Yes, um, that's what I'm getting at. Is there something? there what does he mean by cold i don't know but it's certainly i'd say whether or not it's proof that they have to do something or don't have to do something it certainly Mm -hmm. sounds like it's 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 removed from they have to directly kill them or be there when they die or like perform some right correct right like it's it's not that involved and so it it lends more to john's not that john knows this but it lends more to John's case that he needs to be worried about all of these men dying north of the wall. The urgency. Right? Yeah. Well, and just getting the numbers south of the wall. Right. If they die, they're going to become whites, a lot of them. And we don't, again, we don't know exactly how, but mm-hmm. the information about Torwind makes me think it's going to be more than I previously thought. I would agree with you. Yep. 
it doesn't seem as complicated maybe as you and I had postulated it could have been. Yeah, and we weren't specific in our postulations before. No. Nope. Just, you know, kind of musings. But um, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, well, in, 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 in this case, it's it's interesting, to your point, that and, and Bowen Marsh and Solis and these people can't wrap their heads around this. Normally, when people die, that's the end of them. They're no longer an issue. Yep. And they can't seem to get the fact that when you die, you become the enemy. And John yep. can't get that through their heads. This isn't like normal warfare where they die and they're out of the equation. No, if they die, that's bad for us. We need them here. Come on, guys. Listen yep. for a minute. Get that through your fucking heads. I mean, Bowen is so fixated on the wildlings. Like, remember, he, he took can't a... can't get around it. He took a grievous wound to the head. He did, yes. And so I think he's he's just a little bit, like really focused on wildlings <laughs> you know um you know a musician sleeps with your wife and you hate musicians for a while he's he just he hates he hates wildlings for a while and he's very focused on that uh maybe but yeah he can't he can't see past it at all i mean even in the end here when he's like you're gonna train the enemy not i'm not training others who do you think the enemy is like he he, he can't even identify who the enemy really is Right, um, and it really was some 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 brilliant writing from George at the end of this chapter. The way he, um, you know, he's got John has three three men there that he's he's got Yarwick, he's got Marsh, and he's got uh, Septon Salador Calador, um, and he gives each of them instruction, and each one is the first one kind of is is more most agreeable. The second one is a little bit more curt, but okay. And the last one is just very, very businesslike and stolid and not pleased to be doing, to be carrying out this action. Mm-hmm. And you can just kind of see that scale that George is using. I, I love, I love the way that's written. Ah, good point. Yeah, that's where the episode title is taken from. Uh, is mm-hmm. this chapter? John says, foes of the worst sort, brothers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John has kind of done himself a favor here when he offed John O'Slint, I think, uh, in that no one is outright opposing John. They've seen that John has the cojones to uh, take severe, swift, and final action when it comes to people opposing him. Yeah. Um, so you don't see Bowen, you know, outright refusing to, to carry out an order, but there's certainly a lot of grumbling and stuff and, and John's not blind to it. And that's how the chapter ends, right? Yeah. He's definitely not blind to it, Yep. but, uh, it's interesting how that dynamics working out now. Yeah. It's just, it's almost like, you know, sure. Uh, um, Shereen. Melisander kind of, she keeps telling him and telling him, and you get the feeling that she kind of thinks he's being very daft for not listening closer. Mm-hmm. This it, it sounds like he is listening. Oh yeah. He just he just knows what the risk is of the others, and so he's like, I can't. What I, else can I do? I I can't deal with that right now. I got right. this other thing, you know, mankind's survival maybe. Yeah. That I have to deal with. But, Which uh, is so cool. He's, he's yeah. just like, how can I? Yeah, 
maybe I am worried about someone coming after me in my sleep or whatever, but so what else can I do right now? Yeah. There's uh, another beautiful bit of writing from George, uh, just about uh, as, as, as John is leaving Tormund's camp, he marvels at the beauty of the wall. It really is something we don't talk about that much. Mm -hmm. It's 700 ish feet of magic ice. Like, anyone looking at it, how could you not believe in others? Or Children of the Forest, or Snarks, or anything. Magic right? in general, yeah. Yeah, like, like you every day have a living room. People love living in Utah, right? Because they wake up in the morning, they can see the mountains, they're just reminded of the beauty and splendor of whatever you believe in, right? And, like, how can they wake up every day and look at this huge wall of ice and know that it's magic holding it up and then be like, eh, others, I don't know. No, I agree with you. I think I told this story a long time ago, maybe when we were reading game, but you mentioned our beautiful mountains here in the valley and, you know, we do start to take them for granted after a while. Yep, and we do. And I remember a, when I was, I was with a friend who was from Boston, actually, and we walked outside of a building one night and we were down in kind of the Provo area. So we were right by the, right by the mountains. And it was kind of, it was kind of getting dark outside and she walked outside and she was kind of taken aback. Like she like physically almost jumped a little bit. And I was like, Whoa, what's the matter? And she goes, Oh my gosh, it was just the mountains. But she goes, I, looked, <laughs> I just saw these huge shapes and it just startled me for a second. You know? And it's like, Oh yeah. What? They're there. Like, yeah the mountains they're there and uh you know we just take it for granted after a bit but these aren't just mountains though like you said very well this is a 700 foot wall of ice yeah and it's there the proof's in the pudding yep you're right um you know we we've we've kind of come down on John's side here uh, and against his brothers, but <laughs> but but I want to I want to throw them a bone here because they're not they're not all wrong. The, no, this is this is a bit of a coin time. flip. I mean, yeah. t- to me, it's a bit of a coin flip. But they're not reading the novels. I am right. They're dealing with it from their own perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. what they're talking about is bringing people into their service potentially, or at least living in their space that could that could kill them right and that's and, a risk too and if from, they all die yeah. they can't defend the realm against others either and so, from the side of the flints and the norries they have killed them yeah in right. the past yeah yep yeah so i guess i just i they're not i don't think they're wrong they just they haven't seen they haven't seen it all and we've talked about this with john too he's just I feel like he... I don't want to come down on him now because I feel like he's tried a bunch of times now. I do too, especially in this chapter. Yeah. Maybe if he had somebody like Sam there to, like, word it differently, or... He's just he's just very brusque about it, and we've talked about the military thing, and was it, uh, was it Owl that, uh, mm-hmm. that hit us up on, on Twitter that, um, you know, about, about some of the military rules and stuff? Um, I don't know. I just feel like he's... It's, it's just... His approach is not getting through to them somehow, and 
they're not wrong. They're not crazy. This is a huge risk, right? Yep. Yeah, that's what we talked about last episode too is I kind of see where they're coming from. But, you know, with men like these these Night's Watchmen, how else is he supposed to lay it out for him? Yeah. Like, what other way could he come about it? Like, you mentioned Sam maybe saying it in a better way. Like, they seem to respect Sam even less than no, <laughs> anyone yeah. else. Like, yeah, right. I don't know. If Amon were there, maybe, do. or something. Amon, yeah, maybe. maybe but, but, yeah. Corin Halfhand, I don't know, but... Yeah. All right. Um we've got to we've got to talk about this Val thing. With with the oh, sickness. John. Oh, okay. Oh, were yep. you were you going to the flirting thing? <laughs> oh, I was like, John, you dog. <laughs> you think he's after her? He's not like actively pursuing her, but he's he's interested. Yeah. Uh, she sounds amazing yeah until she lets the beast out (laughs) dude on this innocent child um but it uh you know it's interesting like with the gray sickness you get the bit with the with interior's chapter and the the uh what's that area called the bridge of bridge of fog nope bridge of something bridge of lies what bridge was of, that called? Bridge of Dreams. Bridge of Dreams. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's I think go it was with that. Bridge of Dreams. Uh, you know, you get you get some some uh, some talk about that there. You get a, a little bit with Shireen, and then it's just kind of legends and, and stories here and there. But it doesn't seem like they take it that seriously. It's like, well, it happens occasionally, and it's sad, but it doesn't seem like it spreads all the time, or like it, it's a it's a you know a you know a village killer or anything. But she seems to think it's like this could spread. Uh, you know, we don't want her around. She should be killed and burned. And you know, like they take this maybe a, a little bit of a different way up north. Do you think there's something to this? This is a if this came out to be like a big a big deal in the series, like it ended up taking hold of the Night's Watch and infecting them or something. It'd be a total shock to me. Because I don't feel like George has laid it out that way. Not at but all. Val, Val seems to think it's like a dangerous kind of thing, no? Yeah, I'd love to hear more about, you know, was there some sort of outbreak in free folk history that just right. wiped out a bunch of wildlings? Um, like you mentioned, because I, I can't see a reason with what George has given us so far, like you said, as to why... This would be such a big deal for her that what we've been led to believe so far or what's been presented to us is that if you contract grayscale as a child, you remain with the deformity, but that's pretty much it, right? Yep. You have it and, you know, aside from the physical deformity, you're fine. Uh, And then there's the gray plague, which... You know, we're getting in Tyrion's chapter where people become infected with it and it's highly contagious and they, they eventually all turn to stone and it's a terrible way to live out the rest of your life, but it makes people crazy and stuff. Um, but Val seems to have a very different understanding of 
it than what we've been given so far. You, you pointed it out where she says the gray death sleeps. So it seems like it's in some sort of remission mm-hmm. in, in uh, Shireen. But then she says only to wake again. So but how old is Shireen? She's like 14 or something. She's 11. She's like a preteen. Yeah. She's a tween. Yeah. Right. So, so, so it's been dormant for 11 years. I mean, patch face like lives on her face. I mean, like, he's, like, around her all the time. And he hasn't gotten it. I, I mean, I get the sense that she's mostly secluded away from people a lot, but, you know, she hasn't given it to anybody in 11 years. That's right. long remission. Mm-hmm. Like, is something... Oh, wow. Now, now I'm going crazy. Is is it related somehow, the Grey Death, to the North and the others or something? And, like, the That's wildlings right. know that the others, like, make it non-dormant anymore? Or something? Something. But if so, why wouldn't Val say that? Maybe she doesn't. Yeah, maybe it's steeped in maybe it's steeped in history and mystery and a lot of the Yeah. A lot of the information's lost. They just know that they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I it, it was it's, it's just a weird passage. it comes kinda comes, it comes out of nowhere. Out of the blue. Yeah. Val and, Val is so agreeable. She's she's so coy and fun yeah. and yeah. And she seems completely just, she's got this good head on her shoulders and everything. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like you said, she starts bashing on this innocent little girl. <laughs> but but it's because of that, it's because of that quality of character that you feel like you need to take what she's saying seriously. Seriously, yep. This is a girl like who went off alone on a half-dead right. horse and found Tormund Giant's Bane and brought him back. <laughs> right, she's not some, I mean... I was going to say she's not some dumb uneducated wildling but she is uneducated I suppose but she's got a she's got a good head on her shoulders she's, Absolutely. she's everything we've seen from her exudes capability and strength and quality mm-hmm. it's not like her to just be spouting something like this I don't think without some basis I agree so I agree anyway I guess just something to keep your eyes on like is the gray death actually going to do something in this series aside yeah. from scare Tyrion and uh well let's leave it at that because i think that would still be a spoiler well i i i kind of thought of the same thing you did and maybe that's where we stop it that's where we'd have to stop it is that is grayscale somehow is the effects of grayscale somehow heightened or enhanced or brought out of dormancy by the power that the others wield and I don't know. There's certainly Here a we go. similarity between freezing of the others and the stone of the grayscale. But yeah, go ahead. Grayscale and the pale mare. Two opposing sicknesses of the gods. Discuss. <laughs> no. No. All one, right. one turns you into have... stone, the other turns <laughs> you into water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically. <laughs> we have derailed. You heard it here first, Kalisar. Grayscale and the Pale Mare linked. It's been a long week. <laughs> it, has, it really has. All right. Uh, should we move on to Cersei or you got more here? I really don't. Nope, I'm good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I can leave everything else behind. Um, yeah, all right. Let's go to Cersei. Alluring eyes can get the guys with promises, lies, then cast aside. Can't she be the man? 
She thinks her family needs One brother she hates With the other she mates Those debts can she repay Cersei Lannister In Cersei's first chapter in A Dance with Dragons, we get a bit of a reminder of her condition. A reminder we don't really need due to our combined reread. We kind of just read all this stuff, so I'll skip much of it. Suffice to say, she's hungry, cold, exhausted, and unable to obtain any information about the outside world or her family. She curses those that betrayed her after swearing loyalty. That's Osney, Arrain, the Merryweathers, Swift, Pycelle. She wonders when Jaime will free her, agonizing over the timing, but certain, of course, that he would come for her as soon as he heard. She tries every method she can think of to gain favor with her jailers. Bribes, flattery, threats, commands. None of it worked, and eventually she resorted to praying, loudly and often, in a manner that they would overhear her, thinking that is what they wanted. But her prayers go unanswered, as, like Claudius, her words fly up, but her thoughts remain below. She doesn't mean any of them. She's just praying for effect. Eventually, tormented, beaten down, without any other course seemingly available to her, Cersei's brain comes to the hard conclusion that all there is left to do is confess. She tells her jailers that she wants to, and finally they let her sleep without waking her after just an hour. And it is a glorious night of sleep, with a dream of her brother and her children living together in peace. And the next morning she is ushered to the High Septon to confess. Septa Unella writes it all down, but while the Septas had been much more pliable after Cersei expressed interest in confessing, the High Septum himself is far less conciliatory. Your grace shall be dealt with according to your sins. An ill omen, you know, knowing what Cersei's sins are. I bag on Cersei some, but she has her shit together here. Even after the torture she's been through, she has a complete grasp on what lies she can maintain and what she must confess to that has already likely been told to the High Septon by others. A manipulation of facts and circumstances that only a truly gifted liar can maintain for long without tripping themselves up. She confesses to laying with Lancel and the Kettle Blacks three, but not Jamie, expressing that she was lonely and afraid, seeking protection after Triple B was taken from her, that her children needed men bound to her for, protect for their protection. She asks the High Septon to forgive her. All her fornications were to protect her children. Forgiveness comes from only the gods. That said, he's ready to move on to more grievous sins. First, that she had the previous High Septon murdered, and that the charges against Marjorie were at her, her behest. She flatly denies both. She loves Marjorie, and perhaps Osney took it in his own hands to remove the previous scepter after hearing that it's true, Cersei didn't like him, hoping to gain her favor, but she never told him to do it, of course not. Okay, what about Triple B? Nope, didn't do that one either, she says. Lastly, that her children are bastards born of incest and adultery. There is no shed of truth to Stannis lie, she claims. The High Septon is satisfied, indicating the trial will no doubt bring out the truth. Cersei can barely veil her disappointment. She thought that this confession would negate the need for a trial. But no, guilt must be ascertained for those things that she's denied, of course. In a last plea, she asks to see her son while this is sorted out. Denied but he will allow visitors one per day. A small victory for Cersei. She wastes no time in requesting to see her uncle. He shows at dawn the next morning. His disappointment about her treatment of Lancel aside, remember she fucked him silly as a Jamie replacement for a little while? Anyway, that thing. He has bad news for Cersei. Sellswords are landing all over the south. Stannis men, presumably. And King's Landing does not have the men to fight back. They need the Tyrells, who are very conflicted right now given Marjorie's situ situation. 
Cersei doesn't care about any of this. She just wants out of her cell. She isn't getting it, though. Kevin can't free her. He's what are you doing? Going to storm the gate with troops? He doesn't really have those people, and plus it would upset the crown. It'd, just, it'd be bad. The only way she's getting out is through a walk of atonement. I would sooner die, she says. Kevin indicates that that is not out of the realm of possibility. She could die, because she's accused of just about everything. The Faith will have a trial on this. Regarding Marjorie's trial, the case is weak, and they will likely be found innocent. Every accuser so far has recanted, except for uh, the singer who seems crazy at this point. The worst news is still to come. Marcilla is maimed and scarred, an ear removed. Eris Oakheart slain. Gerald, I am of the Night Dane, responsible for both. Cersei is convinced this is Tyrion's work, though. The scarring repayment for the scarring he received on the Blackwater. This reader, though, can only imagine what Kevin must be thinking as Cersei blames Tyrion for, like, everything. But Cersei seizes on this important detail here. A detail that could mean her salvation. Eris was slain. There is an opening in the Kingsguard. And Kyburn has just the man for the job. End of chapter. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cersei. Hi, Septon. <laughs> uh, All women are wantons at heart. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I mean... He's... he's He's an interesting dude, this High Septon. Right? He really is. I mean, he can see... It seems like he can see... He can see through everything she's saying. Mm-hmm. It feels like. Mm-hmm. Like, he is maybe the best player of the game we've met. Because he just... He seems like he knows everything kind of ahead of time. It's kind of like like he might be the best. I I don't know if he's lying about much, but like he's he's such a manipulator. It, it reminds me of uh, there's a Chris Rock bit from you know twenty years ago now, uh, where Chris Rock is is talking about a girl offering to give him like a hand job basically, mm-hmm. and and he's just like no 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 hold on let the master show you how it's done right because like. We can use our hands way better than, any, than than a woman can, right? Like, to get the end result. Like, I, I feel like... I feel like he just sees everything she's trying to manipulate and do, and is just one step ahead of her the whole time. Do you get that sense? Yeah, and and that's what's interesting and confusing about him, because to what end? He knows... Yeah, I agree with you. He knows she's just confessing to get out of this situation that she's in and everything. To what end? Yeah. That, that is the question. Why? Why is he okay with it? You know? Why is he letting her continue on doing this? And offering this walk of atonement rather than insisting upon a trial where there's where she's got a lot of evidence stacked against her. Well, he's still, he's, he is insisting on a trial. But didn't he concede that the Walk of Atonement could happen? The Walk of Atonement just shows her how sorry she is for the sins that she's confessed. Right. That's how she gets out. 
She still has to go to a trial. She still is going to the trial, yes, because she's trying to find her guy. Yep, right. I had a brain fart there. She's That's okay. So, like, Mar- like as for Marjorie as a comparison, Marjorie and her girls are out of jail, which is what Cersei really wants. And she's asked Kevin, like, get me out of here. He's saying the only way you're getting out is to do a walk of atonement to prove that you're that you want to atone for your sins that you've that you've admitted to. That'll right? get you out. That'll get you out. That's your that's your key to get out. Right. But you're still going to have a trial regardless. Yeah, and that's why she's looking for her champion. Yeah, right. I had a brain fart there. Yeah, so... so, But still, to what end is still a good question. Mm-hmm. What's what's he... Let me put it a different way. Cersei's been an ally to him in a way. She armed the faith. She kind of <laughs> met him halfway on a few things. Yeah. Like, And it still seemed like he knew exactly what he was doing, right? Yeah, he could let this go if he wanted to keep her in power because he's either, depending on how skeptical or, or how sarcastic you are about it, he's been able to either manipulate her or she's just been a good friend to him, you know? Yeah. Uh, he could let this go, but he's not, which means he's either like Stanisy and like justice is justice and you got to get your justice, mm-hmm. or or he's playing some sort of game with some other friend, right? He's got... Some sort of political end he's trying to bring about, and I don't have a theory for it or anything, but it, it feel it does feel like he's motivated in some way to like bring her down. Yep, he could he could get her out easily and doesn't, and there's a reason for that. Whether it's you know pick one, he really is a pious you know high septon guy, or he's shady and allied with somebody, right? Yeah. No, that's, those are the two options. Absolutely. You know, I think about the, the, the idea of repentance, at least in the Christian faith. And a primary part of that is what, at least in my faith, they they call godly sorrow. And that's the idea of, you're not sorry just because you got caught doing something, you know, you're sorry because you know, you did something wrong and you want to become better, right? You want to, you want to fix stuff for the right reasons. And it seems like, to me, the High Septon is so focused on looking past that mark of trying to help Cersei realize that she's wrong and become better. He's looking just for a confession. He just wants her to confess something. And he's so focused on that that he's missing the point of helping her want to become better. And so that's why I lean towards the, he's got something else up his sleeve. There's something sly going on. I feel like a humble high septon who's come from the the humble backgrounds that he has. If he was truly convict in his position as speaking for the gods and stuff, he would be trying to help her more than bring her down. Uh, oh Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. The alternative is... Or he's truly convict, sees that there is not an ounce of actual repentance in in her, Mm -hmm. and has no interest in wasting his time trying to bring it out, because he can see her. He sees what she is. So he's given up. Yeah. I I mean, you're right, though. A real religious leader shouldn't give up like that. But, like, if you see the devil, and I also imagine these people, if they see a devil in front of them, they can acknowledge it. Right? Mm -hmm. Like... And I imagine that's kind of what she represents to him. She's a sinner and an unrepentant one. Yeah. 
Or maybe he's trying to humble her so low so as to then pick yeah. her up again. I don't no, know. No, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It, regardless, I guess I guess my summary is, you know, too late for it to be short, but seems like there's something up with him. I something's agree. something's going on. There's something behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. And this is uh, an interesting study into Cersei, right? This is another character study into who she is. I find it so interesting that in her mind, she's constantly railing against her inability to get in the he- ahead in the world because yeah. of her gender, right? Yes. We've got plenty we can talk about there. There's a lot to chew on there. Yep. You know, she blames on not being able to fight, blah, 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 blah. Yet, and so she, she's like, this is bull crap that people only see me as this, you know, a sexual object and stuff like that. But when she's pressed by someone like the High Septon, she falls right back into right those stereotypes yeah. that she hates. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she does it with Kevin later, too. Oh, I'm just a weak woman and I need this and da 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 da. Is that smart of her to do that? Like, is she doing that on purpose, knowing that it works? I think so. Right? But it's not really working. I don't think it really worked with the High Septon, and I think Kevin, Kevin. knows well enough yeah. that it's not working with him either. Yeah. I mean, he kind of like hugs her and is like, you're forgiven, whatever, like, let's just move on because you are what you uh-huh. are, and let's just make things happen because you're not changing, right? Right. You know that song, um, remember the band Blues Traveler? Did you ever listen to them? I, yeah, one of, yeah, yep. You know that song Hook? Yes. Blues Traveler? Yep. That is a... That is such a clever song. That is some of the most clever lyrics I've ever heard in a song. He's talking about how even though the songwriter, he wants to write songs from the heart and be really sincere, Mm -hmm. all people want to hear is a good hook. They want it to sound good. He says it doesn't matter what he says as long as he sings with inflection, as long as he says it well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he can keep doing that because he knows that if he writes a good enough hook, listeners won't help but be able to like it. Like they know he's being insincere and he's writing stuff to just get to hook them in, but they'll still do it. And goes to prove the point by writing what I think is just, I haven't looked into this, but I think is just gibberish for most of, for a good portion of the lyrics of that song. The little rap he does. Yeah. To prove that it's, it's not, it means nothing. There's nothing here to draw you in other than it sounds good. Right. Right. And it and, works. And it works, at, yeah. At the very end of that, the, the, the very last line of that little gibberish rap is significant. He says, um, but when I'm feeling stuck and need a buck, I don't rely on luck because the hook brings you back. When I'm feeling stuck and need a buck, I don't rely on luck because the hook brings you back. Meaning that if he's in writer's block and he can't tr- say what he really wants to say, He's not going to rely on luck and try to put a song out there that he hopes will do it. He knows what to do in that instance. Just find a good hook. Doesn't matter what you say. And that'll bring me the bucks, you know? And that's totally what Cersei does, right? Yeah. And and that, uh, just on Blues Traveler, uh, that song is, is a bit ironic because I find he... He has a gift for some very compelling, nostalgic lyrics mm-hmm. and, and songwriting. 
Canadian Rose is one of my favorite songs. Call um, me an ugly American. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is just about you know a, a trip to a, either his hometown or another another town that he's been to a lot or that he spent some time in, and and this nostalgia around being there and um, the woman he was with at the time and just a, mm-hmm. a lovely song. Yeah, he's a fantastic songwriter. He is, and, yeah, man. But he says this is what made me think of this song is he says there is some in the song he says there's something amiss I'm being insincere. In fact, I don't mean any of this. Any of this, yeah. Still, my confession draws you near. Mm-hmm. And I thought of Cersei saying that to like the High Septon. Yes. And he knows it, and she knows it, but it's what they both want. And then he says that great line about Peter Pan. No matter how much Peter loved her, what made the pan refuse to grow was that, was the, that hook the hook brings you back. Brings you back. Yep. Yeah. There is something... Mm. Good song. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Tis. Uh we've I don't think we've ever talked about Blues Traveler before, you and I. <laughs> I don't love Blues Traveler. I've got three of their albums, I think, but they've got some songs that just get me. And yeah. Hook is one of them. Canadian Rose, that whole album, Straight On Till Morning is a great album. I love Straight On Till Morning. There's a... Uh... Oh yeah, there's I can't remember the name of the song there, but there's a there's a fantastic piece that he's got there with a, an electric guitar going against his harmonica. Oh, what is that song called? Is that yeah. yours? Yes, that's that it. That one's got a killer guitar solo. That is also yours. one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. I love that song. And I am passionately yours. Mm-hmm. We'll listen to life later. Yep, okay. Uh, wow, that was that was divergence. Callus, are you still there? You with us? Wake up! Sorry, like blues traveler. Blues traveler, more like Jesus, snooze we... traveler. <laughs> as if we haven't gotten hit with enough Dave Matthews Band and Counting Crows, <laughs> and now Wallflowers, and now Blues Traveler. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting thought: If Jamie comes to town, won't he be imprisoned also? He's part of this, right? He's confu- he's he is being accused of fathering these bastards. He's wrapped up in this whole trial, isn't he? If they're being fair. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, I would think he might not be imprisoned, but he would I would think he would be brought in for questioning at least. Mhm. And depending on Yeah, that's why I hesitated a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think questioning is fair. Mhm. Yeah. For sure. Cersei, one of her first reactions to uh, hearing about her daughter is, oh, she was pretty too. Right. It's comments like that that, like, I don't know, I guess I feel that way about my kids sometimes. Like, they're just these gorgeous beings and anything that mars them physically, I would feel that way, I suppose. But in hearing about this, like... That's quickly overridden. Yeah, by actual in your case, I'm concern sure, by concern, yeah, right? Which we see very little of with Cersei here. 
Right. And so, again, all these comments about, and this goes to the psychology that we've already talked a little bit about, but all these comments about, like, doing it for the children and, and really whether she believes that or doesn't or just says it, when she says things like, oh, she was so pretty, it just... And then moves on to Tyrion. It, yeah, it just takes you out of believing any of that, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And they, you wonder if that... I've made arguments before that, like, no word is accidental, and I've heard other people with respect say the exact opposite, that they're just words, man. Like, they write a bunch of them, and some of them don't mean shit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've heard my sister say the opposite, that everything is carefully chosen. So yeah. I don't know. But um, does George, is George intending to subvert that whole theme of doing it for the children by writing that line. Cause that's what it does to me. He's done it before too. And then yeah. he frustratingly gives you evidence that, that on she its is. head. Yeah. Right. We, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, maybe with Tommen. Yeah. Where she goes to Tommen and she's like, at least Tommen's okay. Right. Right. And it's nothing to do with his looks or anything. It's just, she seems very much good. Tommen is safe. But then again, this Marcella thing. And it seems we get a lot more of this than the Tommen situation. And it, it also fits with her though. She grew up, it fits with her character and her background and her, you know, upbringing. She grew up as a commodity. Yeah. Right. To Tywin. Yeah. Tywin, at least she never felt like he cared about what she felt or, you know, her concerns about life or anything like that. He just needed someone to marry off eventually. Yeah, but she never played into that, right? I mean, she fought that tooth and nail from day one. Sure, but I'm saying that that's... Until it was Rhaegar, and then she was like, I'm all in. <laughs> but that's what, that's, you know, so when we see that bleeding into her personality a little bit, we can see kind of where it's coming from. Even though she yeah. did fight against it, she can't yeah. help but see Marcella in that way. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, oh, she was so pretty. Tyrion did it. Oh, I hate Tyrion. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure he did this. <laughs> Couldn't help but think of Asha in this chapter. Oh, when, really? When Cersei, just as a comparison. Where she says, and we already referred to this, if the gods had given her, Cersei, the strength they gave Jamie and Robert, she could have made her own escape. Oh, for a sword and the skill to wield it. She had a warrior's heart, but the gods in their blind malice had given her the feeble body of a woman. <laughs> and then I think of Asha Greyjoy. Yeah. In her feeble body as a woman. Who relishes in, yeah, the strength of of being a woman yeah and not and asha we've talked about this before asha isn't trying to be a man she's not like a quote-unquote tomboy she like you just said she's very much a woman yeah and she can do all that stuff that cersei says she can't do because she's a woman yeah but i mean culturally being a woman means different things for ironborn and you know being the lady of Cashley Rock or whatever it is that she's going to be. So like culturally I can see where she's coming from, but you're right. I mean, it's a crutch. It's an excuse, right? These are the types of excuses that the privileged use to explain away their failures. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we don't see a lot of women warriors in the ironborn culture. Um, The women certainly aren't 
you know, I think maybe spoon-fed all the niceties and everything in the Ironborn culture that, you know, Cersei grew up with. There are some, for sure, though. I mean, I, I don't... I mean, I don't know that they discourage it. There's, uh... I guess we really only have two that I'm super aware of. Asha, and then, uh... They refer to her as somebody's daughter, right? That that tries to take, uh... Christopher into the woods before mm-hmm. they're, uh ambushed mm-hmm. but i i mean i think i think you're right it's probably more rare than men for sure but i don't think it's like discouraged in their culture sure i'll give you that yeah. but anyway yeah it, it is for sure she's falling back on these excuses of what she's been given and it's like do you know be what you need to be rise above yep all right shall we move on uh, just a quick reach around that yeah. uh, Ariane apparently did her job of convincing Marcella to go with the Gerald Dane story. Yes. Just calling back to that real quick. Apparently. And yeah, and they kind of hid that information for a while. I mean, just mm-hmm. now hearing that Eris died when that was a while ago, right? Yeah. So remember there was some nervousness about... Oh, will Marcella buy it? Will she agree to do it? Da, 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 mm-hmm. da, will Balon Swan figure things out? And apparently, everything is working so far. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, appears that way. Yep. Okay. Well, my friend, um, yeah. we have arrived at the end, then, of the regular portion of our cast, correct? That's right. So, without any further ado, let's uh, give a quick stop off to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. As we do every other episode, and we are happy to do it, and then we'll proceed on to Davos After Dark. So, uh, Skad, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, At the dirty cab driver level, we'll start with... Josh C, Warden of the Reach around, Lord of Littering and, Littering and, Littering and, Smoking the Others. Yeah, Jacob M. Uh, and I have to just pause here. Uh, we don't really talk too much about the names here, but we have some awesome names in our Kalasar. We really do. But this is one of my favorites, just partially due to simplicity, the way it rolls off your tongue. And also, uh, this person's been a part of the Kalasar since, I think, virtually like day one. I think she was... She, he, we don't, actually, I don't know anything about her, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, Lady Fat-Ass Red has been yeah. with us since, like, literally day one. Thank you for your support. OG Blood Rider. Indeed. Uh, Jeff H. Archmaster June, healer of the Lesser Poxes. <laughs> That's, that one's one of my favorite names. Just it the is. Lesser it Poxes. Is yes. Just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jeremy L. Jamie K. Donneris. Sarah from Texas. Colin Yu. Sir Stormtheus Snow, the Bastard Storm. Austin C., another OG. Indeed. Heather H. Uh, B word, Queen Beyond the Wall. Blood Reiner. Mm hmm. And uh, a new one, Sir Stevron, the Blue Raven of the Lightning Peck, <laughs> whose words are, The way must be tried. And lastly, our Team John supporter, Misa, our Queen of Gifts and Beauty. We love you guys. Thank you so much for the support, and thanks everyone for. You know, sticking with us for as long Absolutely. as you have. All right. Without any further ado, then, my friend, shall we graduate to the ever-diminishing feature that is Davos After Dark? Davos After Dark. 
way to really sell that. <laughs> I go at it all dramatic and then, yeah, it's not really that important anymore. It's diminishing. <laughs> I will diminish. It's true, though. With the more pages we read, the less... Uh... That's still fun, though, to talk theories, like you said. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about the high septum thing already, so I think we're going to be done with, with the high septum. Screw that guy. Yeah. Uh, let's roll it clear back to Danny. Try to get our cool. heads back in, in the Danny space. Gross. Again, well chosen. <laughs> the poisoned locusts. Poison locusts that I spoiled who, miserably. Who do you already. got? Who do you got? Uh, I mean, let's just admit I, it on the surface. It feels like his dar, right? It does. I don't think I. I don't think it's. I don't think it's his dar. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's. I've read a theory on this online years ago, and I think it's still clinging. And I don't remember all the reasons I believed it, but. Somebody made a good case. God, bad attribution. That the shave pate did it. Sure. Yep. Um, whether it's that he's feeling betrayed, whether it's by doing it, he'll prove that he's still needed, you know, as security or, you know, what the reasons are. I don't remember exactly, but it, his dar feels too obvious. Even, even the way George has stated it, oh, you should try these, makes it seem too obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... You've got the beware of the perfumed Seneschal thing, uh, so it could be Resnak there. Um, but I, I don't know that he's got motive to do it unless he was always planning to betray her, which, to be honest, it kind of felt like he was always a little bit in league with some of these other shady fellows. Um, and the only other person I could think of was the Green Grace, who I've never trusted. Right, yeah. We always just have this, like, hesitance about about that Chica. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the biggest evidence that I see against Hisdar is the casualness of the poisoned locusts. Like, what is his backup plan if Danny does what she says she's going to do? Where Danny does what she did, which is, no, I don't want any locusts. Right. What's he going to do next? Force feed them to her? Yeah. Like, keep trying, try, keep getting her to try some? Like, it just seems really sloppy. And he doesn't do that either. You yeah, think he, he if up. she wasn't eating them, you'd think he would have tried a little bit harder, especially after he sees one dude who's clearly going to die from this. Right. And like, why, why doesn't he be like, oh, Belwas, save some for later. Yeah. You know, Augustus. Yeah, Augustus. <laughs> like, save some for later. I got to try to convince Danny to eat some of these so she'll die. It doesn't right. seem there's no urgency to it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like uh I don't know. His star is gonna ha- if he wanted to I-, I don't think it behooves him to kill her now. M- motive wise. I like I don't I don't think he really wants her dead right now. Mm-hmm. I think he wants her dragons helping him control the city. I think he wants you know, certainly a, a large percentage of the, not, I don't know how large, some percentage of the population of Marine is in love with Danny. Yep. They love her. The slaves that she freed, you know, her shrinking Kalisar. There are... The Unsullied. 
the Unsullied, yeah, I mean, there's a power base there that I don't think he really wants to piss off. I think he's perfectly happy, and, and the evidence that they've given in the chapter is that he's a patient man. Just wait. Just wait this out. He comes to her seven times asking about the pits, wears her down into marriage. Like, he is, he's a patient guy. I don't think he's in any rush to have her killed. Yeah. If she happened to die charging Drogon, he might not cry, mm-hmm. right? But I don't, I don't think he was in a rush to have her killed. Actively seeking an assassination right. at this point. Yeah, he's right. been patient thus far. He's a good player. I think he's, I think he probably feels comfortable being patient because of, he probably has a lot of support from the yeah. ruling families. Yeah, and there's probably something going on there, and yeah, he's got no reason to rush things. Here's a Especially wild theory. Especially in such a sloppy way. Here's a wild theory. Maybe the Pauls put the honeyed locusts out there knowing that Bellwas strong Bellwas loved them and would eat them and they're really he's the target. <laughs> after they after he <laughs> dispatched their greatest yeah. son. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eh, that's <laughs> like that. that's that's I'm... maybe giving strong Bellwas too much importance in the story. I'll admit no, to that. he can never have too much importance in the story. Not Bellwas. Uh I I, I lean towards the shave paint one as well. I think that's compelling. You know, like you mentioned, he was removed immediately after his dar was crowned. And mm-hmm. he's got, like I kind of alluded to, he's got a ton to lose because he threw it all in for Danny. Yeah. You know, shave paint. He was the guy that gave up everything to, to serve Danny. And, you know, now that I, I think he, he's got to see the writing on the wall, right? His dark comes in. Yep. He is fired. Ooh, there could be a problem. There's a mention that there's bad blood between the Lorak and Kandak uh-huh. families, mm-hmm. which Shave Pate is a Kandak. And and also mm-hmm. he does have still access, I think, to a group of people that might be pretty loyal to him, the Brazen Beasts. Right, um, yeah. These this other guy, I don't even I didn't write the guy's name down. Um actually I did. The his dark's cousin. Nope, I think I, I bet there were K's and Z's in it. It's all yeah, uh, it ends with Lorak. Marg, <laughs> Marg has Marg has yeah. Lorak. Yeah. Uh, he seems to be in command, but later in, I think it's the very next Barristan chapter, or maybe the one after that. Uh, Skehaz says, "I'm, I've still got control of the Brazen Beasts," indicating oh. he's still got friends there. I had forgotten that, but yeah. it makes sense. When he ran them, he started that whole group. Yeah. They're kind of, yeah, friends of his. And with him constantly advocating, you know, violence and these strict measures and, you know, executing the hostages and stuff, it's almost like maybe he's at this point where no matter who eats the locusts in that box, be it Hisdar or Danny, the piece is going to be damaged. And maybe he's got a chance there or something. Yeah. Yep, maybe. Okay. So, yeah, summary, I think it's the shave paint, but my reasons are not super strong. No. I'm not, I'm not like, super, super convinced. Mm-hmm. Let's stick with Danny, then. What was the point of taking Quentin down to the dragon pits? I think we alluded to it a little bit, or, or you did specifically, about, you know, when you when you mentioned the water garden thing. Mm -hmm. I think she's seeing if he's got any metal at all. 
you know? Like, what is, how does he react to these dragons? What does he, what does he think? Maybe even, um, you know, like, can she, he, he brings up, you know, he's got blood of the dragon in him. Right. Like, is that a fit? She knows she needs dragon riders. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, does, does anything pop when he sees these dragons? Do one yeah. of the dragons end up, like, liking him? Like, they come right over and are like, hey, you're nice. And... Mm-hmm relate to him somehow they do that sometimes they did with with brown bbp yeah yeah yep. well and, and it she she uh she seems to come up with this idea of wanting to talk to him after barristan spends all this time talking up dorn well not all this time but like a paragraph yep. talking up dorn and the martells you know they're ancient noble a friend of house targaryen he brings up lewin martell who's a apparently one of the best king guard ever you know, not forgetting that Quentin said there's about 50,000 swords or whatever it was. And then she's like, hmm, uh, maybe it's time he met my dragons. Yeah, so I think it was a testing out thing. And then I think she felt that, you know, not only his fear of the dragons, but then bringing up the water gardens and stuff. That is when she turns. As he talks about the water gardens, and she's like, I've never heard of the water gardens Okay, Tell me about them as we leave this place. As we leave. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's still intrigued by peace, right? That idea of yeah. Yeah. peace and serenity and stuff is still attractive to her. But right. not right now. Yeah. Fire and but she, But she does specifically say to him, I think, that she needs dragon riders. Yes. She can only ride three one. heads of the dragon. And yep, so, the dragon has three heads. I mean, it's, it's strongly hinted at that, like, hey, there's a job opening. Yep. If you're if this you're up to it. This is an interview. This is a job interview. And yeah, and he's got to feel as though he's failed up till now. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I'm not saying he has. I imagine he feels that way. I think he was put into a nearly yeah, impossible situation. situation. Yeah. Yep. And especially given his skill set and mm-hmm. but but this is like the last ditch. Oh. A sliver of hope. I'll grasp at that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she sees She's like, I can't marry you, but I do see value in an alliance with Dorne. You yeah. know, I I don't have a lot of surefire friends over there. Barristan tells me that people will come to me. Jorah's told me that people will come to me. But I don't have any firm commitments from anyone over in Westeros yet. This Martell thing might be something, you know? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on... Uh, Danny, Quentin, all that stuff? I don't think so. Quentin, we barely knew you. Yep. He, uh, If Danny had any sort of faith in him as a potential writer, he goes ahead and proves that wrong later. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Scad, who killed little Walder? I don't know. Uh, th- it, Big Walder, probably. Like that's, mm-hmm. that seems to be where it's pointed, but motive, you know, like what you always want is motive and maybe motive is big Walter's a dick maybe, <laughs> but, um, it, big Walter was actually like the more reasonable of the two. Um, if I remember right, but, um, I looked at the fray line of succession and big Walter is like there. 50th in line. I mean, he's like. It doesn't make any sense to kill him for that reason. Not really. Um, 
So I, I, I can't really come up with a motive for any of these people. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I t honestly, I, I tend to think it really was the gambling thing. Like, okay, like it, it was, maybe it really was fair. what they're saying. It was just a, it was just a, you know a, a gambling thing uh -huh. with the with the mermen. They certainly had a lot of beef with the phrase in the past, and maybe it was something simple. Yeah, I mean, what do you killing, think? killing a kid is a big step to take, but he was a big kid, a big little kid, um, who was kind of a jerk. We're yeah. starting to see. Theon notices that he's starting to become a lot like Ramsay, who he's squiring for now, so he spends a lot of time with. Yep. Um, I did find, I, I do find it reasonable to believe that Big Walder, even at his tender age of nine, is is making plays. Um, there's some conversations he has where this little guy, bless his, bless his sweet little heart, seems determined to rise to the top. <laughs> uh, he says when they're talking about their age he says that uh, he says but he's uh, already ahead of Little Walder in the succession right? right yeah neither of us will hold the twins stupid and Big Walder says I will I'll hold the twins um, Ryman is old too said Little Walder past 40 I bet and he has a bad belly do you think he'll be Lord? Big Walder I'll be Lord I don't care if he is yeah. Um, uh, do you ever find your cousins, my lord? No, I never thought we would. They're dead. Lord Wyman had them killed. That's what I would have done if I was him. Yeah. Like he susses it out and everything. He's like this sly little nine-year-old kid who's kind of scary in a way. <laughs> yeah. But so you I think can't... he just did it without motive, just because he's a crazy fray? No, I think that he does see it as a way to Remember perhaps get ahead. Yeah. I mean, he's already ahead he's, of this kid. He is, by 52 days. Yeah. Yeah, is what he says. Uh, interesting little detail about the blood when they walk in. Oh, yeah, about the, being on his hands. Well, the body in Sir Hostine's arms sparkled in the torchlight, armored in pink frost. The cold outside had frozen his blood. Big Walder comes in, and his chest and arms and cloak were splattered with blood. If Big oh. Walder had found Little Walder, he's already fro his blood. Little Walder's blood was already frozen on his body. Yeah. How could he get the blood on him, on Big Walder? Right. If the blood was already frozen, right? right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's good. Uh, that that's good crime crime scene deduction. Mm -hmm. But if Bill, Big Walder's as sly as he is, would he have tried to wash the blood off and everything? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to go Big Walder. Uh, it could be this ghost in Winterfell. The uh, Did we make a point to say, you did in your summary, that the Spearwives adamantly deny, especially Rowan, violently denies yeah, in the moment, they don't want to draw attention to themselves. They just kind of shake their head quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, but later in the Godswood, she says, I told you we didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't us. You're the yeah. child killer, Theon. Right. Right. This is a question I think is interesting. Where is Mance Raider? 
He was playing music in the high hall, right? <laughs> you said this in your notes. Are we really supposed to believe he's still playing in the high hall? Yeah, I mean, it would have been, I mean, how long? They're in the godswood for a while. They have to go collect the water. That's taken some time. They actually go give the bath or pretend to give the bath and do the switch. Mm-hmm. He's still playing in the high hall. And that's, we're talking about like an hour. Musicians mm-hmm. can play for an hour, but seems like he would have slipped away at some point. He's but, noticeably absent. Yeah, but but they do the say they're going to meet, go meet him at the high hall, right? Or they're going to go look for him there or something. They're going to go fetch him. They're yeah. going to go fetch Mance. So the impression is he's still there, or right. that they're going to meet there or something. I just find it awfully strange that this Mance Raider, who's like, "Yes, I'm going to go get Arya for you." And then when it all comes down to the actual rescue, Theon and Jane are with two of the seven people that were sent to rescue them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe it's to not draw attention to themselves by having a big group of people. I don't know. But I just find it odd. You got six Spearwives and Mance Raider, and Holly and Squirrel are the ones doing it in the end. Because three of them apparently had to go find Mance. Yeah, it doesn't make er, sense. Two There's of some... them. Wait, yeah. you count. Rowan, Squirrel, Holly, Frenya, Myrtle, Willow. Squirrel stays. Holly and Frenya go with Theon and Jane. So yeah, three. Rowan, Myrtle, and Willow. Yep. And it doesn't make any sense. There's for sure something else going on. Right. Why do you need three people to go find Mance? You shouldn't need anybody to go find Mance. Mance can slip out whenever he needs to slip out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yep. why? Why? We're doing something else. Mm-hmm. For sure. What I go back to on this is the washerwomen's, or the spear wives, maybe we should call them by what they really are, the spear wives, uh, attempts in the early onset of the Winterfell chapters to get Theon to tell him where the crypts were. Uh-huh. Is there something in these crypts? You know, that... Maybe during all the commotion, Mance needs to slip down to the crypts to find whatever's there. I don't even know. But, uh, you know... Or to pay his respects to Lyanna. Yeah, that, if I'm, if I'm going to go with my Mance Rhaegar theory, is there something there? Did, you know, maybe it's more than paying respects. Did Mance send something <coughs> with Eddard? The body. Yeah, with the body that is now down in the crypts and that's why Edward gave Lyanna a great or her own place in the mm-hmm. crypts where you know historically they did not give places in the crypts to just anyone it was the kings of winter that got them or the mm-hmm. lords of winterfell that got it uh it was just something he needed to hide down there you know that like like uh some sort of proof of birth or something a proof of birth you know we get that fascinating little snippet in the world of ice and fire book about dragon eggs dragon eggs yeah yeah so what yeah i just think you know with them trying to find the crypts mance's absence there's also the that's where it is there's also the old there's also the old like underground passageways go go on forever thing yeah right like and and goran's children and Mm mm-hmm are there passageways throughout the north? That whole children of the forest thing. Yep. And are those accessed via the crypts? Right. I think it just has to go back to that because they were asking about them before. Yeah. And 
if Mance yep. Rhaegar is true, there's certainly more reason then to want to grab the crypts. But it's got to be it's got to be something something to do down there. Yeah. And then there's the whole pink letter thing. Like, is it like, is it got to do with that somehow? Is he maybe is he sneaking up to the rookery to send this thing or where? Yeah, totally. I don't know. Yeah. As far as we know, going back to the pink letter, only one spear wife we have a confirmed death on, right? Holly. Oh, well, you're right. I guess Frenia maybe didn't die, but I assume she did. We assume she died off page she, because it says the she's last fighting six men. I assume she lived through that. They right. could have just burnt, you know, knocked her down or something and Taken took her captive, captive to flare. Mm-hmm. But, but she's probably dead from that now. Maybe, right. You know, anyway. Yeah. Holly was the only one who, on page, got shot twi- twice in the chest with a crossbow. But you got to assume she's dead. If any of those people stick around, like they know who they were hanging out with, mm-hmm. they're going to assume they were all traitors, right? Yep. So. Yep. In fact, they Roman all had to get out. Gives that warning at one point during the chapter. Holly, cover your face. You know, yeah. People are starting to know who you are around here and stuff. So. I mean, what what if it's as simple as Mance and the washerwomen are actually going to stay behind and stay in the crypts and be the way that Stannis gets in by letting them in? You know, uh, Theon had someone climb the walls mm-hmm. to let him in from the inside. Maybe they're going to hide in the crypts and let Stannis in from the inside. There you go. Yep. Yep. We have That's talked probably, about... Probably none of this is original. I haven't looked up any of this stuff. We, we talked about the, uh, the idea of Bran's knowledge helping to get them into Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's actually going to be Mance. Who knows? Yeah. Hmm. Who knows? I don't like that idea. That idea is too... It's too practical. I want something, like, really out there. The passageways, or like you said, the Lyanna thing, or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll see. Uh, we put a pin in the Rowan thing. Oh, yeah. Who is it? Interesting little tidbit on the Wiki of Ice and Fire. This I did not find this on my own. I I was pointed to it by uh, some online. I'm terrible with attribution as well. <laughs> Moore's Umber's daughter was abducted in 270, 30 uh... years prior, by wildlings. That's one of the reasons Morris hates them. A curious little tidbit that could be something. Huh. That's all. Is I there any is there any reaction between Rowan and the Umber there that's in Winterfell? Not that we know of. You talked about your theory about the hooded man. Yeah. Perhaps being Moore's. I did. It's not my theory. That was from Cantu's, but yeah. Sure. And the um uh I think the it, the parallel was drawn that they both are some of the only ones that call Theon a kinslayer in these chapters, but they both call him that. But, mm. you know, the Umbers, traditionally, at least in these books, uh, were fiercely loyal to, like, Rob Stark, say. And so Rowan reflecting that in what she says, you have no right to mouth Lord Eddard's words, that seems to fit a little bit. I don't know that it matters a whole lot, but uh, it's something. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. Uh, I think we had one more thing. Oh, we already talked about it, man. Um, the Val stuff. Well, 
we've talked about some of the Val stuff. I just went ahead and like <laughs> bulleted everything Val. <clears throat> you so would. We, we talked about the grayscale. Um, what you brought up a, an interesting point. You said is Val, you know, Val is a warrior princess. Is that meant to prepare us for Danny? Um, it's what John wants. He likes her. And Danny being kind of a warrior princess in a way as well. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is John's interested in Val. I think Val might be interested in John. Is there something there? Is it meant to prepare us for something more? I don't know, man. You got any ideas there? Yeah, well, so what, what led me down this whole path is mm. a d- direct text from the book that when Val emerges with Ghost, uh, yeah. it literally says they look as though they belong together. And given that we know that Ghost is, he's his own entity and he's a free-thinking dog or whatever, but he's an extension of John symbolically uh, as well, you know, are they really saying something about John and Val belonging together? That's the first thing. And then it just kind of, after after she had that judgy attack on Shireen, I was like, I don't want to believe that. Mm-hmm. I want to believe something else. <laughs> so, but, so he was, but, but we know that John is, and I don't really want to believe this either, so I don't know where I'm going, but we know that John is, seems interested in Val in a way. Uh, we know that she is this strong, confident, capable woman. We know that Danny is the same, also beautiful. Um, we know that, look, the dragons have to come to the wall at some point. This is, mm-hmm. I just, I feel like dragons versus others has to happen at some point. I don't, I don't, I don't know that we're going to get away from that. But I've never really been a fan of Danny and John getting together. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I've never been like, yeah, that's the pairing we need. Um, I like them both as capable leaders themselves. But maybe this is maybe this is foreshadowing of like, oh, John will respond to Danny because he's responding to Val. To Val. Right. That's all. That's very thin. Very thin. No, I like it. I think there's validity there. But I'll take your ghost was part of him just a little bit further. Hagon in the dance prologue said, Wolves and women wed for life. You take one, that's a marriage. The wolf is part of you from that day on, and you're part of him. And then from John 3, you pointed this out. Ghost was part of him, meaning John. Hmm. And then from this chapter, you pointed it out again. Ghost emerged from between two trees with foul beside him. They look as though they belong together. Just fits. It mm-hmm. just fits. Yeah. Um, but I like that idea of, of him responding well to that kind of personality and, and maybe that being something with, with Danny. And maybe if they do meet up, that becomes a conflict that they have to get past. Oh, no. I also thought... Maybe like a, if we had like a chick fight over John's yeah. uh, Val Danny, and let's throw in a let's throw in a wild uh, uh, an underdog there. Let's throw in some Alice Carstark too, just for oh, fun. Oh jeez, because there's there's something going on there. All too. right, I can I can hear you typing the fan fiction now. <laughs> That'd be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I like that and. I also just like the potential for conflict that this brings furthermore to John. I mean, I know John's lying, as far as we know, dead in the snow right now. But 
if Melisandre does try to sacrifice Shireen, it seems like all of a sudden Val's like, yeah, I'm on her side with all of this. And that could bring up some interesting conflict. So. Why does Melisandre need to sacrifice Shireen? She doesn't. King's blood, power in that. But but Thoros does it without any of that. Melisandre seems to think that the King's blood stuff is powerful. Well, and I think it's well, seems like it's been effective for her. So I don't I don't want to say she's wrong. Mm-hmm. But Thoros, we have evidence that Thoros has done this without killing anyone. Right. Which means that Thoros has some sort of better, more mature understanding of how this all works. That's how I see it as. I think... Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they've got this, you you have to pass this curriculum in order to become a red priest or something, and everyone gets the same standard... What's it called in the public school system? (laughs) You've got Uh, the standard curriculum that everybody gets the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And... It seems like a lot of it is up to study and figuring things out and maturing at your own pace. And I think Thoros has some sort of understanding that Mel hasn't come around to. Or or maybe he's bringing back Fire Whites and she's going to try to bring him back like from the dead. Mm-hmm. And those are different, like like to still be John, right? Because we've talked about those Fire Whites, they've lost parts of themselves, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, but maybe the idea is to bring John back as himself. And maybe because he's been able to warg into ghosts, they're able to do... I don't know. It's all speculation. Mm-hmm. I just don't want them to sacrifice Shireen. I'd love that to be something that doesn't happen. She's so sweet. Brendan B. Fish published something recently saying that I think... that. Oh, no, that was actually... That wasn't Shireen. That was actually referring to Monster, I think. The thing he published recently. Hmm. I will admit I did not read that one. Oops. We we tri- we triggered that actually. I just forgot that we something we were talking about triggered his thinking on that and made him start diving in and. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll take not royalties that we, on that. No, not really. I mean, it was just like one line we said made him think, and right. then he went off and did a bunch of yep. beefy fishy things to make it amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, I think we're done. Was there anything that you wanted to pull out from this Davos After Dark that I didn't highlight that you wanted um, to bring up? I already, I already did that a little bit with my uh, with what happened with with Tarwind or Tar Tar whatever it is. Torwind, yeah. Torwind. Uh, so no, I, th- I think I'm good. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we could have talked about, but I I felt that they might come up at better times later. I really want to talk more about Danny's descent into the blood and fire mentality, but -hmm. I think that would be better suited for the next chapter um, where she's walking alone in the grasses and stuff. Uh, There's the whole tattered prince thing. He wants Pentos. Mm -hmm. You wrote, yo, who the F is this? I think you actually said the F. Um, yeah, that's that, that's a Hamilton lyric. Oh, gotcha. Yo, who the heck is this? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yep. My ignorance is shining through. Um, but I think he comes up again later in the Barristan chapters. 
and I think a Quentin one too, uh, because he tells all of them that his price is Pentos. He tells Quentin, yeah. I want Pentos. He tells Barristan, I want Pentos. Uh, Barristan actually agrees to give it to him, which could have some interesting implications, but I thought we could talk about that later. Yeah. Um, one so, thing yeah. that, well, I guess there is one thing, one just little thing. Okay. Um, it was my last point on John, which is just beyond the drama of, of what oh, happens yeah. to John, which we were mm-hmm. just talking about, about him dying and is he in a body? Is he brought back? All that kind of stuff. Like, the wildlings just see a dead body. And what they really see is their lone champion for them even being here is mm-hmm. now dead in the snow. And, like, what will they do? Yeah, what like, chaos will ensue Exactly. Now? Does Bowen right. Marsh turn around and say, you guys are goners? Or do, do the wildlings en masse rise up and slay the Night's Watch? Yeah, do they recognize, and, that's our guy. oh, and, crap, we gotta and, act now. And Bowen Marsh has proved right. They were a powder keg, and, like, we shouldn't have allowed them in, because look what, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, one wild card in that is Leathers. John's yeah. kind of let Leathers into his inner circle. He's there he at the meeting with, with Flint, yep. Norian, Bowen Marsh, and uh-huh. Othel Yarwick and them. And so Leathers knows that John's their only hope. So, yep. yeah, that's a really good point, Scad. What happens when John's lying there in the snow? Leathers will recognize it awful quick. Yeah. That's my guy. He's dead. Guys, we got to do something right now. Yeah. <laughs> or we're dead too. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it could be, it's just not something you hear a lot of people talk about. Like what, it really is. What will the wildlings do when they see that this has happened? Yeah. You really expanded right? my view on it because I remember thinking a couple episodes back, you know, what happens to John's allies, the satins and leathers. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You did. Yeah. You pointed that out. But I didn't think as expansively as you did of, wow, there's thousands of wildlings now and everything is compromised there. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see. We're so tied yeah. up in what happens to John himself that we forget about all the people around him. So, got to yep. keep it in mind. All right, uh, should we conclude? Yes, let us conclude. So, guys, uh, this is Matt signing off with a nice little quote that feels like Danny's giving up, but I think it's actually kind of inspiring. So, this is Matt signing off saying, Perhaps I cannot make my people good, but I should at least try to make them a little less bad. Hmm. Yeah, words to live by. And uh, a little bit lighter from me, Scad to Amon, signing off. 102 years old? You look great! (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah. (laughs) Good night, guys. Good night. Sure can. Great. Okay. Yuppers. Yikes. Don't ever say that again. That's a. Yuppers. I was gonna. And you you totally just went with the uh, with the quote. Because Jan is his his girlfriend. Oh, did I? The you know his his boss girlfriend. He goes. Don't ever say that again. He's on the phone with her, and he's like yeppers about something and she's like what did i tell you about yeppers 
And he's like, uh, I told you not to say it. And he goes, yeesh. <laughs> yeesh. Yes. Uh, so good that. job. Wow, we. This will be a short episode for us tonight, won't it? Three hours? Oh, it's not that short. <laughs> <laughs> How long did we talk before? So this will probably end up being 250 or so. Something, yeah. We probably talked yeah. for. I think we talked less than 10 minutes. I think we got right to the point. Yeah. It'll Anyways. be on the three, though, I think. Yeah. All right, Blood Riders, let's quickly talk about the music we used in this episode. First of all, we had Fly by Lenny Kravitz from his album Five, original album title there. Next, we reached around to the Wallflowers, bringing back uh, their song Three Ways, which I like to apply to Danny. That's off of their album Red Letter Days, which is one of their best. Uh, Talking about one of their best, the next song we used is Name by the Goo Goo Dolls from their album A Boy Named Goo. That album has aged surprisingly well. Check it out. Um, Next we had Hook by Blues Traveler. Sked and I spent way too much time talking about that, but it's a good song by a good band. That's off their album named Four. Yes, we had an album from this uh, called Five and one called Four. Come on, guys. If you're going to name your album's numbers, okay, I'm all right with it. But you got to be consistent, okay? Like, if you commit and you name your first album one, you got to just go through it. One, two, three, four, five. You got to commit to numbering all of your albums, all right? No, like, calling your third album by some other title. Numbers all the way. And finally, the last song we used uh, was the closeout music, which was Learn to Fly by the Foo Fighters from their album, There's Nothing Left to Lose. Hope you liked it, guys. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.